Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jacob Marley is dead. This must be distinctly understood, or nothing wonderful can come of the podcast you are about to listen to. Come sailing in on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. I saw three ships come sailing in on Christmas Day in the morning. You see that post of us fighting in the streets on uh, Facebook I re-uploaded? Is it like a lightsaber fight? Yeah, so I, I put that lightsaber fight post back up on uh facebook and uh it that oh, that comes up every year and i will always repost it because it is like my favorite story of us you made lightsabers because we wanted to go to um force awakens with lightsabers as jedi and we did but before we even went there we practiced fighting with them in the streets of hamilton new jersey and it was amazing it was a blast i think my fun my favorite part of that story is your nephew being like there's kids fighting with lightsabers in the street and then your sister-in-law's like no that's just your uncle jimmy <laughs> uncle jimmy and his friend john and it's just yeah. like yeah and it it's so nice to we are in very different places from where we were at that part in our lives. Uh, we It's 10 years almost. And uh, lots changed. A lot of good. The world's got a lot of bad. But there's a lot of good. And there's... We'll see if there's a lot of bad. When we talk about the two movies, versions of A Christmas Carol, we watch tonight. Because, John... This is Jacob Marley is Dead. This is a podcast where we... Uh, reminisce about the good times of the past and also we talk about a christmas carol or multiple christmas carols yes with your with your uh midnight double feature uh for our comeback episode here i am uh i'm john your ghost of street side lightsaber battles past and i am his sidekick jimmy who will either be fighting with him or against him in lightsaber battles. <laughs> One way or the other, right? And today, we're going to be talking about two different versions of A Christmas Carol. We're going to be talking about 1913's Scrooge, or as we call it in, in the United States, Old Scrooge. And <laughs> we are going to be talking about 1978's animated Rankin-Bass musical, The Stingiest Man in Town. How you doing, John? Jacob Marley is alive and well. It is it is my favorite time of year when we get to bring back this <laughs> crotchety old stiff one more time. 
it was it was such a nice like so i just for frame of reference for the show i just watched these like literally just stopped in the i barbenheimered this stuff right right beforehand all right and it was awesome it was great because it the First one we're going to talk about was a great reset, and then we had something really interesting to watch, and yeah, yeah. and and it I, I it brought back all the memories of doing this podcast, and I cannot wait to talk about some Christmas Carol. Yeah, we're taking a break from uh, taking a break from the hobbitses and elves and dwarves and all of that. It's time for some Christmas elves. I get, yeah, I get the tree talk. I understand now. The only tree I want to see is a Christmas tree. And boy, yep. do I get to see a couple in this tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, we certainly do. So uh, we're going to kick things off with uh, Old Scrooge, right? Or as the as the Brits called it, Scrooge. Across the pond, he's just Scrooge. Old Scrooge is a 1913 silent film adaptation. This is a fun first for us. We haven't done silent film yet. John, did you watch this with any music accompanying it? No, the one that I watched did not have music, although I also was watching it while I was trying to get my kids to go to sleep. Uh, so I either way, I turned the music down if there was music. Um, John, I chose a musical track to go along with this movie. <laughs> oh, no. It's the most basic of choices, but it was the best of choices. I watched Old Scrooge with a little sound of Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> wow. That's a it wild pairing. And here's the thing. It doesn't time out perfectly. Like there's one extra song at the end of Dark Side of the Moon because Old Scrooge is like 40 minutes long. Right. But John, uh, as we go through this, I will let you know what's happening with the music. And it's awesome. <laughs> that's that's something else. That's something yeah. else. Um, I might have to do do a little little prog rock rewatch of uh, I, <laughs> Old Scrooge. I mean, Dark Side of the Moon just works with like everything. It's not just Wizard of Oz. You put it with wrestling. You put it with um, golf. You, golf works weird because like it's like commentating on golf. Anyway, never mind. But <laughs> it's wild. awesome. So what's fun about Old Scrooge, right? 1913 silent film Old Scrooge is that it stars friend of the show Seymour Hicks, whom we've talked about before. For his yeah. his run in the the nineteen thirties in kind of a talky version of Scrooge, yeah, he's pulling a, a a pretty different Scrooge here. Not not like radically different, but different. Like yeah, the first shot we get of him is just like Nick Nolte mugshot all the way. <laughs> it's pretty bad. The hairs to the side. It's uh... yeah. Why don't we talk about it? Oh, yeah, talk, yeah. Let's let's talk about the thing. Yeah, let's talk about it. All right, this is Jacob Marley is dead, and we are talking about 1913's Old Scrooge slash just Scrooge. Was in those ships, all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day, and what was in those ships, all three on Christmas Day in the morning. It's fun to watch like really old film from when they were sort of trying to figure out what translating narrative to film actually would look like. 
Yeah. Especially narrative like Dickens, which is so wordy. Like it's very hard to do Dickens without the actual words of Dickens somewhere on the screen. Mm-hmm. And there's and it starts off with this very weird framing device of like describing Dickens's life a little bit. Which I mean it's nice to have the context, but you don't really need it for the narrative or the novella. Like it right. just is. So um we get like a little basic mini documentary, like a funny enough, a Lord of the Rings like intro of uh right? Like a it's little very theory. unusual. And I guess we're not terribly far removed in nineteen thirteen from whenever Charles Dickens died. No, I should have remembered the birthday uh, because it was plastered on the roof of uh, the house where he was born. Oh, that's true. I don't know. I don't know if that was literally there on the house or if it was just like um, a little um, title they put over it. But uh, it was up there for a good minute. It's interesting because we see Dickens at the start of this and he's like pacing and trying to he's like trying to figure out how to how he's going to break his next big story or whatever and then he's like aha i have an idea and in that very silent film like like um you're really doing a lot of storytelling with your body and face yeah yeah <laughs> they handle a lot the of hand movements yeah just a lot a lot of quick reaction to things with your body and look there's a poetry to it and there's definitely an art form there's a place for it, and you can say a lot with it if you know what you're doing, right? Absolutely. I think we've, I think just just to get this out of the way, I do have a familiarity with like silent movies. Chaplin's one of my favorites. I'm a big fan of um, Fritz Lang, the movie Metropolis. We've actually watched that together. Uh, nearly restored, great version is out there if anybody wants to take a look at it. And in, in, in Metropolis, and Chaplin. Big body motions to get across silently everything you need to know for. It's a ballet in a sense. And that way you don't have to use that many title cards to get the plot across. Fortunately, <laughs> this was written by Dickens. <laughs> I feel like you signaled that very well. Yeah, the right. title cards in this are, are a little bit of a chore. I'm not going to lie. And I, I'm not necessarily opposed to watching silent film. I would say I struggle. Like maybe I have undiagnosed attention deficit something or other because I struggle with silent film sometimes with the cutting back and forth between the title card and the action and the choices and how to time that out. Because I don't think it's always. I think sometimes it's done really well when you have a silent film with a lot of dialogue kind of cards that pop up. And sometimes it is really, really disjointed and distracting. And I think this version of A Christmas Carol kind of does both. There are times where I think it's paced really well and other times where I think it's paced really, really badly in terms of that cutting back and forth. Well, our first major scene here is just this really quick, like, intro of a bad day. Like, Scrooge walking to work on a bad day and <laughs> being a jerk to kids and everything. And every other second, it it's the narrative, it's the... It's the text telling us about Scrooge as he's walking to work, messing with some kids. And it's like a rhythm. It's five seconds on title, five seconds on card again. Yeah. Bump, 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 bump. And I was like, is this going to be the whole movie? Because I'm going to get seasick with it. Yeah. <laughs> this. Um, so Seymour Hicks, we talked about this when we we talked about his talky version. He goes for a kind of pathetic Scrooge. Like that's his move. It's like kind of like Albert Finney. Like Scrooge is, is crotchety and crusty and kind of like, 
he looks unhoused in this one. Like he looks like a hobo. Well, he sleeps at work, as we'll get to. Like, like yeah. that's the yeah. thing. Like this guy doesn't really have a lot of upkeep going on in his life. This yeah. guy needs to take a shower. He can afford it, you know. So he should do it. He's probably can afford other clothes. But he's pretty stingy. Maybe not the stingy. Yeah. Maybe the stingiest man in town. But he is. I mean, dingy is, too. Like he just doesn't yes. look. He looks very unkempt. He's hobbling around the streets. Kids are like, like throwing snowballs at him and pestering right. him while he's like just trying to pop a squat for a second on a park bench. Like, and I love how the the, the one good. There's a couple good jokes actually. These cards have from time to time, and the one good joke the card had there was, look. He's getting hit by snowballs. These kids are throwing at him. They shouldn't be throwing snowballs at him, but they're throwing yeah. snowballs at him. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing that I found really funny about this opening narration is that all of the dialogue, which is in past tense in the book, mm-hmm. is in present tense in this film. Because it's yeah. descri- actively describing him as it goes. So they've just taken all of Dickens' words and shifted them into present tense. And it is so much funnier that way because it's, it's almost like you're watching a nature documentary with Scrooge and you hear like like David Attenborough come on and be like the wild Scrooge is it the cold shrivels his pointed nose and and stiffens his gait he's a and- grasping scraping covetous old sinner <laughs> like amazing. it feels like it's bullying him a little bit Especially because oh, yeah, he's so yeah. pathetic. And while and here's the thing, while he's doing all this walking to work, Pink Floyd's "Breathe in the Air" <laughs> is playing, and it's hysterical. <laughs> it is amazing. Like he's hobbling to the freaking place, and it's oh, this. I'm sorry, you got to do it, folks. You got to pair these two. It was amazing. Let's move. By. Oh my gosh, <laughs> this is your your Christmas challenge is pairing old Scrooge with dark side of the moon. Um, So he gets to the counting house and it's, I mean, honestly, kind of the last full set we get in this film. There's like maybe one or two other sets that we get, but for the most part, we're going to spend the rest of this 40 minutes in this counting house. Here's my theory. Every adaptation that they probably have ever done on the stage at that point of A Christmas Carol was a one-set show. First scene on the street was just a curtain. Open up the curtain. Scrooge and Marley. They do what they do here in a little bit, and everything takes place in this set. And I think it was just a natural... And it was cheap. Oh, it's sure. got a, It's a good set, too. There's a lot... There's actually more going on with this set than uh, you would think at first. Yeah, and you get, like, essential pieces, right? You have, like, Scrooge's desk. There's kind of, like, Bob's desk further back by the door. You have the the armchair, because what what's going to happen is that this set is going to serve as both the counting house, but also, like, Scrooge's bedroom. Like, mm-hmm. he just happens to hang out. And we can talk about kind of, like, yeah, for sure it's a, a, a cost-saving measure, but also it it sends an interesting message about, like, what this guy's life is like. Right, right, which we'll see later on. It's all, uh, it's all, you can already tell it's all work, you know? Like, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, I really like when Bob shows up carrying Tiny Tim because he's kind of like doing this half assed piggyback. Like, it's not the like he's riding on the shoulder and it's all jaunty. It's this kind of like slow hobble with this like kid on his back who 
doesn't look feeble in any like kind of recognizable way. That's why I like this uh, Cratchit. Okay, I gotta say right here, that is a man who works a job carrying a kid who's heavier than that kid thinks he is. Okay, yeah. like I know Tiny Tim's supposed to be tiny, but oh my god, I've been carrying you since the house. Anybody is Tiny doesn't... Tim like derisive? Like <laughs> it's like it's like when they call Little John Little John in Robin Hood, even though he's like six foot something. Oh my gosh, show me that version of Tiny Tim. That'd be amazing. Um, well, that was the Blackadder version, wasn't it? Wasn't Tiny Tim, like, huge? There you go. Yeah. Oh, that was good. Um, so, in this one, Tiny Tim and uh, Bob have a really uh, nice moment here. You know, nice little exchange that gets interrupted by Scrooge. And yeah. I love it because it proves that Scrooge knows Tiny Tim, which to bring back dream theory. It's yeah. all a dream, baby. <laughs> yeah, I, this one's a pretty this is a pretty good one for dream theory. I'm going to give you that. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, we get like Fred kind of there's a really like a scene that I found really funny because it's Fred basically giving all the money he has to these street urchins who are for sure the same kids that were tormenting Scrooge at the beginning. And because of that, it and because of the way it's narrated, it makes it seem like Fred is paying these kids to, to haze Scrooge. Like he's like, good job. You told him Merry Christmas. Oh, you get two. <laughs> you got him in the face, right? You threw that right in the face. All right. And, and and Scrooge, he's fighting these kids all the time. And by the way, he can't land a punch. Did you see him trying to hit those kids? It was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's like a little like kind of like wimpy. Like <laughs> he makes an attempt at it, but it's not great. When when your punches look worse than Jerry Lewis in um, The Nutty Professor, something's wrong. OK, oh, goodness. That's a deep cut. Um so Fred comes in and I mean, basically, it's like the Cliff Notes version of the Fred scene where he's talking to Scrooge like they get yeah. all the essential pieces in there and it's like, boom, boom, boom. We're just going to get through all this dialogue, like nothing particularly get, special about it. It's Fred. They know they got to do Fred. Look, they do pretty much get all the real. I mean, they get a lot of the beats in here for as short as this is. This is the same length sure. as uh, this is only 40 minutes, but we get Fred in. And they get Fred the hell out. Yeah, and I'm going to argue that about 20 minutes of this 40 minutes has got to be just lingering on the title cards because or like because all of the dialogue is pretty long. Like you get a decent chunk each time the uh, card flashes up on screen. So I do. It feels like if you wanted to make Christmas Carol like a one act single set play, this is how you do it. It's pretty much this. I was saying the same thing. I was saying we could put this on, John. We just yeah. need a few of our friends and uh, a stage somewhere. And we yeah. boom, we got it. I can think of some uh, script tweaks, <laughs> honestly. Well, well, let's get to a tweak they made in the narrative here, which was kind of interesting. A beggar so, woman. Yeah. Okay. This is really strange. So. Uh, you know, Fred comes in and he leaves. There's before we get to that, I just have to comment. There's this really long, like multi-stage handshake between Bob and Fred that I found really strange. And I think it's just like definitely a product of trying to do a lot of work communicating with physicality alone. What's happening mm -hmm. in the scene. Right. Um, it, it was oh, just man. very strange. But yeah, very after Fred leaves, there's this woman yes. that comes in. Cool. It's an interesting new idea. And she comes in and basically has 
if you're going to die, um, well, sorry, let me get rephrased. Uh, the whole scene with the workhouses and the whole scene <laughs> with um, if they're going to die, they better go ahead and do it and decrease the surplus population. All right. that comes right here. And I loved it. And I thought, okay, we're we're skipping the charity guys because we're we cut, just cutting out the middleman. <laughs> go right to the poor people. I thought. I thought I was like, we're getting right to the source here. It's direct. Later on, he can give to her directly in a quick shot or something. Like yeah. very simple and very easy. But John, that's not quite how it played out. Yeah, it's weird. So like they do that. They get the surplus population line here. He kicks her out. And then like he kind of takes Bob to task. He's like, stop letting the pores in. Like If you and do Bob- that again, you're going to get fired. And Bob gave her money. Bob Bob paid. Uh, gave her some uh, shillings or something. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And he was reprimanding him for it. So it's like it was also kind of shaming him a little bit. You know, yeah. another part of the dream theory here. Like he knows, right. so he had to, you know, nip at him for that reason. Right. Um, then there's like it's like a time. The, excuse me, I just had a cup of tea. Um, there's this like time jump implied here. Like it's towards the end of the working day, and at this point. The charity guy shows up. There's one, one charity guy, right? To essentially do the same thing over. It's a very strange choice. Why? We don't need padding. Like, this is not the, this is not the version where, look, I appreciate the fact that they included what they've added with the beggar woman in the beginning, in the middle of this. But if you're going to do the charity worker to be authentic to the book and give that, all the way it had in the book initially. I because it doesn't orc if you're gonna create the beggar woman character, cut out the freaking charity guy. You don't need him. You, yeah. you save with a stronger message in a way with Scrooge directly refusing the needy right to their face, as opposed yeah. to a middleman. Which, you know, I think that's the problem. We deal too much with middlemen. We see somebody directly denying somebody a a better uh, day, a better moment of their life. Yeah, there's something to be said in the original for the idea of like the charity collectors sort of representing like the 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 almost bureaucracy that exists around getting aid to the poor that it's got to be filtered through these other fat cats who may be skimming off the top like we don't know, right? We always kind of take for granted that those guys are like are purely altruistic. I would love to see a take that makes it seem like maybe they're not and that that's where some of Scrooge's cynicism comes from as well and is like I'm not giving my money to you. Like what do I look like a chump? That would be a very believe if you're going for a very believable Scrooge, like a Scrooge that you could relate to, that type of idea. That's where you bring that in. Yeah, uh, I would be interested in seeing that. Yeah, like a guy whose cynicism isn't just like the pores are gross and I like money, but it's like you know this system. I, that, I would argue that that's kind of almost what they did in Spirited. That Ryan Reynolds' character in that is almost like jaded. Not necessarily that he like doesn't want to be a good person, but it's like there are no like this isn't real. Like everyone's trying to take advantage of other people. Good point. I think that's definitely there. I think though, seeing that with the eighteen hundreds flair would be very interesting. Be interesting because yeah, because it could be a great commentary on the industrial revolution. I think because Scrooge could probably look. He doesn't. He pays his taxes. That's what he always says in this scene. So. What does he really feel about that? Like in a different way, like a twisted, just a little bit. 
it'd be interesting. You'd almost have to do it where like he's walking to the counting house and he sees those guys coming out of another place and then like sees them kind of skim a little bit off the top into their pockets. And he's like, and then when they show up later, he's like, oh, I'm going to get one over on these suckers. Like it's almost like a weird, like save, like a twisted save the cat for Scrooge. Yeah. Here's last thing on it. It would have to be something like Scrooge is honest about what he is doing but it is completely immoral like he is com- like he, he he's loaning money the way legally he's supposed to he's not crooked it's by the book he says look you have 90 days or x amount of days if it happens it happens he is just he doesn't care right but he is in a crook if you do that type of scrooge then you could really play it off that type of situation that'd be fun it- What's really interesting is I it's very rare, I think, for a Scrooge to be portrayed as a crook. He's almost always a good man of business. Like, I think like we think about um, we're getting off in the weeds a little bit. It's been a while. We, we just got all the the, the Jacob Marley yeah, I know, guys. right now. But the yeah, I think about the. Um, uh, oh, oh. Patton, help me out. Uh, George C. Scott. Thank you, George C. Scott. You think about the George C. Scott one, like he sees what he does as morally upright, right? right? He had like moral yeah. superiority and the, it takes the spirits breaking down down to be like, actually, no, actually, you're you're callous and you don't care about people. And that's what's really moral. Maybe I just have in my mind the crooked one because the crooked performances really stand out. Like with Albert Finney, kind of, mm-hmm. Albert has kind of like a little. He's too quick on to collect. Like there's something kind of, kind of wrong there. A little yeah. twist with him, and of course we'll get to the other one in a moment. Yeah, we'll get to that that charlatan. Um. So all right, where where were we? Because we got we got way off track. So so, Mar- so the the charity workers are gone. Uh, right. Basically, mm-hmm. the scene happens as we always. Yeah, there's this weird moment where Scrooge gives Bob a gift. He gives him like a like a secondhand pen. It's like maybe this will help you do your job. <laughs> well, it's funny. I was thinking about it. So the there's a all, the saying in media I've talked about before the save the cat moment, right? The moment where a character does something and you're like. Boom, I like this person. There's some humanity there. The save the cat moment in A Christmas Carol is take a little bit of the day off or take the day off, right? He's yeah. not denying Christmas completely. There's still a light there. There's still a glimmer of hope. Um, he does two things here. You're right. The gift. He gives him a new pen, which is that really a gift, which I think it is. Or is he just kind of like, look, I got to give you a new one of these every year because you wither it down to nothing and I need my ledger to look good. So it's a gift. Now get to writing. <laughs> this is an interesting thing, though, because we've seen a version of this a couple of times. We've seen in Christmas Carol Cole in the movie where he give, like saves the, the mice for the, the cheese for the mice. Right. Oh, yeah. Right. For Skin Flint. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, and then God. we also saw it in the... Um, in the Guy Pierce one, there's that whole discourse about like him giving extra coal and like kind of comes back to bite him and stuff. So like the Christmas gift giving is an interesting little drop here. That's awesome. That is. It's a good. This is a good silent movie version of it. It's it's doing really well so far. It's getting through everything. And now it takes a real. Earn and a twist that I kind of enjoyed. Yeah, it does. I think. 
I think you cut the charity collectors. Yeah. Because it, it takes such a long time to get to Jacob Marley in this. And when we get to Jacob Marley, we're with Jacob Marley. Yeah. Um, so Scrooge, it's he's in the counting house and he kind of like falls asleep. He's like playing with his money a little bit. He's got like a bunch of money in a sock. And he's yeah, pulling he, it out and counting it this- gleefully. He's got a secret money bin on his desk just to hug more money. And yeah. like, he, he is really Scrooge McDucking it. It's kind of amazing. <laughs> I literally have Scrooge McDucking in my notes. <laughs> right. If we did, if we pulled episode titles from, from our actual conversation on this show, it would be that one. That, um, and, it, and this episode, and not just here, we'll get to it also in, um, and stingy. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, stingy is 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 a uh, big time McDuckin. So um, <laughs> he's so then they have to do this thing where it's like describing these noises that he's hearing. And to his credit, right, I, I will say this: Seymour Hicks is a is a tremendous actor, right? I thought this when we watched the talky version he was in. I I absolutely think it now. Like he's doing so much work with his body and with his face to sell what's going on with his character at any given moment. Like it's, it's absolutely like a, I feel like tour de force is laying it on thick, but he's really like bringing it right. I mean, head and shoulders above anyone else in this special. He's playing Iron Man, baby. Like he's playing a thick, like a pop culture icon to the best of his ability. He's doing Robert Downey Jr. here. And it's it he's doing it well too like it you already you get the sense of something is going wrong as soon as he goes for well first it's a it's a fake out with the money uh reveal like yeah it's around good no one's around let me get my money and then it's the next thing is oh, he's just being paranoid and then he remember there's the title cards here were a little weird of like describing yeah, yeah. Like he remembered that ghost dragged chains. Is was that a common thing before Dickens? Like, I don't know. It's um, a, that's a that's narration from the Dickens book, right? Because he hears the chains wow. being dragged, and then he's like, he remembered this kind of like idea of ghosts rattling chains in different places. Um I'm, interesting choice, Dickens, to have it. I mean, that would have been a reveal to me, but it also kind of I guess bakes into the world the version of the afterlife that Dickens creates here. So that makes sense. Yeah. So what's cool about this is Jacob Marley shows up. Um, he's dressed in a bed sheet. <laughs> I mean, and, but here's the deal the, there's a reasoning, I think behind his design choice, because he is not just Jacob Marley in this version. Oh, in this version, Jacob Marley, and he says as much Jacob Marley is here in the role of the ghost of Christmas past, present and future. So he's coming to Scrooge with this like father, son and Holy spirit kind of situation Mm. going on. It's interesting. It's, I mean, look, a lot of times Marley is kind of paired up with the ghost. I mean, it's all part of the same act. He's the intro for them. Yeah. And so casting somebody to play all four of them makes sense. And it's actually a really interesting and cool way to do this quickly, which is yeah. the point. Few transitions between ghost to ghost. It's just it's kind of like a slideshow for Scrooge instead of actually taking him there. Um, I didn't know the ghosts and Marley were working with PowerPoint. 
Yeah, but, it is. It's the PowerPoint of Christmas past. Um, but it's okay. It it, it hits because because our man is selling it on yeah. the floor. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, Seymour Hicks is the thing that makes this work. And I, I will say it's impressive because if you think about what he's actually doing here, he spends a good two thirds or a good third, maybe a half of this um, film acting against nothing because Jacob Marley is not on set with him as he's doing the performance that's filmed, right? Jacob Marley is filmed separately and superimposed into the scene. Um, which works until the couple of times where like Hicks kind of crosses in front of him in the plane and we see Marley superimposed over Hicks. It's like, oh, well, we'll suspend disbelief a little bit there. And then because of the effect, I'm assuming some sort of adhesive paste on job, very basic uh, fil- early film, right? The call the film stock aged differently. So there mm. are spots in different areas. Um, and while that is depressing, let me cheer you up with this update. During the Marley Scrooge scene, what Pink Floyd song is playing in the background? Money! <laughs> That's great. I love that. It was amazing. As soon as the ship was going sideways and he was going for the money bin. Boom, 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 boom. I was like, yes! <laughs> oh, man. Um. So what yeah so what ends up happening is like you you get essentially the Marley scene right a, you know a a, yep. a a smattering of the dialogue from that scene and then we quickly transition into like the rest of this film is done you have Seymour Hicks on the floor on one side you have Jacob Marley kind of standing up to the side and the two of them bookending this like vignette in the middle of the screen and it's through this vignette that we're going to see all of all of the divisions of this night in about the course of about 15 minutes or so. And it's it's not the worst. It's it's a little grainy over time, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. But what is lacking is probably the use of some close ups and, of course, yeah. modern film techniques in general. But like. When we get to things like Tiny Tim, right. And the toast there. There, the actor playing Tiny Tim really sold the toast, right? Like, yeah. really waved the hand out. You indicated that I'm the one talking. Yeah. Mrs. Crouchett was acting and was saying the lines like the founder of the feast indeed and everything, but was saying it so far back at the head of the table that it was barely noticeable. So it would have been nice to have had a clearer image for like those far away acting moments to yeah. really connect what we know as the what they're saying what they're acting and the whole time seymour hicks is like clutching his heart or gesturing (laughs) or whatever it is if you think about filming this too he probably just spent like 15 minutes or 20 minutes sitting on the floor while some like pa read the lines and just had him like react appropriately to it i mean filming this must have been a wild experience i'm i i'm putting that visual together right now so audience listen it's a cold dark set it's just a camera crew there's no boom mic or anything like that light guy and a guy reading that and if they're all in 1913 outfits really committed to the craft saying this stuff to each other and seymour is giving it his all like john was saying that visual 
as it is building in my head needs to be shot and sewn. That's amazing. That's a that's a beautiful thing right there. Yeah. You know who can shoot that? Christopher Nolan. He would love that. He would love that. A lot of really, really meta. So I would argue that this is kind of like this is a speed run of a Christmas carol. So we're gonna do like a speed run of the actual events from the book that we get here. Um, yeah. We do get young Scrooge at school and and his sister Fan coming in to talk to him. Um, we and then like very quickly we transfer directly from that. We jump right over Fezziwig. We jump over any like happy Scrooge and Belle, and it's like directly to Belle being like, "You've been overtaken by money, and I'm breaking up with you." Right. We we are hitting the actual needed. I mean, everything is needed, and Garnish would be great uh, as we see with things like the George C. Scott version, right? Like little additions, or earlier on with the Beggar Woman edition. But here is the very basic we, what we need. We we yeah. need the sister because of Fred, because we need Fred, and we need and we need to establish that he could have had a better life, but his own choices took him down this path. Right? We need right. to establish all that, and it worked. Um. Yeah, and then we get what's wild about this is now we have like three levels of superimposed imagery of some kind because yeah. it's it's Seymour Hicks, right? And like the whole background. And then we have Jacob Marley superimposed into it because he we know he's superimposed because he's kind of translucent throughout the whole thing. Right. Right. And then these vignettes superimposed on top of that. So like this section, like the visual is pretty muddy just because you've got literally like physically film being glued together to make this work. Right. Scotch tape might have been used in some of this. Like, honestly, like it is. And this isn't even the worst of it. And it's not even the worst of it when nothing is happening, right? Like, yeah. this is understandable. Like, we talked about three different pieces of film. There's moments coming up later that are just barely look lookable. Like, we can yeah. barely see what's going on there. And yeah, yeah. It's bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's rough. But, I mean... It's over a hundred years old. It, we can, we can forgive. We can forgive. I love it. I love yeah. the the hundred and ten eleven. Yeah, hundred and ten Dalmatian one. It is like it's awesome. We jump very quickly from Bell to the Cratchit scene, right? And we get kind of again like the the only the necessary details version of that. Um, Scrooge is very moved by Tiny Tim in this version. Very quickly. Very yeah. Quickly, yeah, and the second that he is moved by Tiny Tim, the spirit's like, "Well, too bad because he's dead, and also you're dead. Here's your tombstone." It is. It might be. And I mean, we're, we have a we have a contest in today's episode for which version of a Christmas Carol can do Christmas Future the quickest, and it is between <laughs> one of these two, and it's a tight race, right? It is. I think this version squeaks it out. I think this is probably the shortest version we've ever had. Of Christmas it's future, yeah. Well, I mean, what happens with Christmas future here is slow in what is actually happening, right? But might be a quicker runtime overall. Yeah. Whereas what we get to later is feels quicker because of the cuts, but is probably an overall longer s- sequence. Yeah. Yeah, on with there's a couple of spicy meatballs on top of that kind of insubstantial spaghetti. That was a weird metaphor. Um, so I have a note here that's just Seymour Hicks is pretty cool. I just I really I appreciate the 
the amount of work he did just hefting this whole thing on his shoulders and hauling it across the finish line. From the tombstone uh, soliloquy, if you will, like he is all out, all about yeah. it. He's on his knees. He's praying. Yeah. He's begging. He's all in it. And it is all on his shoulders. And I love how Jacob it. Marley just like slowly backs out of the room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> dream sequence. Dream yeah. sequence. This is probably the best dream sequence we've seen out of all of them. Honestly, yeah. it's all in one room. There's there, everything could have been. Look, it's his memories and it's Cratchit's family is on is in living in Skid Row. That's yeah. all he needs to know. Yeah. Um. Speaking of Cratchit's family, so the the boy in the street, he kind of goes to the window and he does that fun, like bad script thing of being like, I will go to the window and shout to see like, I'm going to explain to you what I'm going to do before I do it. And then he goes and does it. And then he calls this kid in, right? And action. Yeah. He calls this kid in who is like 25, is very tall. <laughs> and he's like, boy, do you know if Tiny Tim's alive? And <laughs> And I wanted so badly for the guy to be like, who, who the hell is that? I don't, what are you talking, the ukulele player? Who are we talking about? What's a tiny Tim? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, oh my gosh, it was. Are you coming I on to me? What are you talking about? <laughs> ah, it look, it was awesome. It was really kind of cool, actually, because I know he was not a boy, but it actually made like the whole, hey. Uh, talk to me, I'm a stranger moment, not read as creepy, you know? Like, sure, I know, yeah. I know this was the 1800s and Stranger Danger was not nearly as much of a thing, but I eases my mind a little. <laughs> um, There's like this fun scene, which had a lot of weird um film degradation. Did you notice this when he's throwing the coins to the beggars out the window? This is that part I was talking about. I couldn't yeah. see a... Di- I knew what was happening. Because they told us in text, and yeah. you can kind of make out by squinting, but it is the roughest part of the film overall. And I couldn't figure out why. If it was just something about the exposure, or like, was there something like I couldn't figure out if there was a special effect that was supposed to be happening, or if they were trying to make it look like the snow was falling. I am no complete expert on the film uh, at all. Let me just preface this but i wouldn't be shocked if maybe it was a different film quality yeah maybe they used different film stock or something was wrong about or for that like the, batch. the exterior shots or something maybe. got ex- right or something got exposed like you said an exposure or got exposed the negatives like who uh, somebody could have spilled something that's the thing yeah. it, the negatives we have to preserve film that is this old was not treated well Right. In the early days of any new medium, video games, comic books, and film, stuff isn't saved. Or maybe it couldn't be saved and isn't treated with the reverence it should be. So we, we, would, it, would it have been possible to have as clean of a cut of this movie as we could have? Yes. Sure. Unfortunately, we don't. We don't have it. And that's because we, we didn't save all that stuff we could have. Yeah. Yeah. There's some interesting stuff that goes on here where he's like kind of almost like he's promising for like Christmas to live within him. And then he flashes forward to like having fun at a party with like his niece and nephew and stuff. But then it like flashes back and he's like, ah, I'm going to go talk to my nephew. And he goes out to do that. And then nope, it nope. kind of, that was not his nephew's party. He thought he went to the Cratchit's party. He had a dream sequence of 
I'm going to imagine what it would be like to have dinner with the Cratchits. Really? I didn't understand. I didn't understand that. Maybe I missed that title card. It was a title card that I was like, now maybe I misread it. But as I read it, it was, I could only imagine what dinner with the Cratchits would be like. Weird. Okay, maybe I missed that. No, because it was definitely the Mrs. Cratchit that I noticed earlier on in the flash. And and so he comes over. This is a whole, and with that layering, let's go into it. By the way, at this point, um, when uh, Scrooge made his big, uh, like, plea to God and was no was redeemed right um and um ghost was really laying into him uh us and them was playing by pink floyd <laughs> so, come on now that's just yeah. oh, that's just perfect so at this point uh we, we are on to brain damage and uh it is the sequence i have to describe it scrooge shows up in his imagination everyone loves him he starts giving coins to everybody he then sits, gives a nice little, hey, Tiny Tim's not dead, pat on the shoulder, goes and sits down next to Mrs. Cratchit at the head of the table. Bob's on the other side, right? He has mistletoe on his freaking jacket and gets a begrudging kiss from Mrs. Cratchit. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. wild. Yeah, it's it's a little bit, it's a little bit of something. Um, Might be getting some coal, that scene. I don't know. Uh, I I'm reserving mine for a thing that happens immediately after it. So you so he then he's like, oh, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go around and tell my nephew I can come to his party, right? Uh, no follow up with the with the charity collectors in this version. Nope. Uh, but he he threw the coins out the window, which I feel like is like we're seeing it. He's giving we we yeah. we, and we believe it. Seymour sure. to his credit is definitely selling that with everything he's doing. Yeah, um, and then. So he there's the thing where he plays the prank on Bob and his body language in the scene is not communicating like I'm your curmudgeonly boss. It's communicating like I'm about to murder you and hide the body. He like he like comes up at him and it's just like that that physicality in silent films you use when there's about to be a a extremely hard to believe assault. Shoulders up, arms back, chest forward, head kind of tilted leaning at the person like you're about to pounce on a gazelle yeah and then instead he makes the wildest acting choice i mean this is this is an acting choice on par with patrick stewart's scrooge literally doesn't know how to laugh Which goes still probably one of my all time favorite moments of, of doing this stupid podcast. But drop it in, John. Drop it in. Like, oh it's yeah, the best. yeah, it's going in. Um, he apologizes to Bob for like the the whole you know being a terrible boss for like the whole thing that he does, and then he like tenderly kisses Bob's hand, and it's this long, lingering, uncomfortable kiss he's like nuzzling his face in his palm it's so weird it is so weird in a movie that like has that kind of overblown melodramatic melodramatic acting but like it has felt pretty like believable up until this point well this might have been a thing because i've seen it in other like in john adams all Giamatti does that move. Like, like it's uh, is it a go-to thing? Like, I don't know. Is it awkward as heck to look at? Kind 
kind of. Like, you don't do that unless you're talking to Aunt May before after the Green Goblin attacked. Like, that's not... Yeah. You don't have the emotional buildup right there. No, no. And Bob is would be right to be scared and call people with straight jackets. It's also right after he does the thing, which I think he also did in the 1930s one, where he says to Bob's face, I'm going to be a second father to your son, which is also yeah. a buck wild thing to say to a human being, right? Like that makes yeah. sense as a narration line describing a thing which he did in action. It's an entirely different thing to have, a, have Scrooge presumed to say that to Bob. That's wild. Your kid is my kid now too. Yeah. Boom. Done. <laughs> Autumn. You know how? Raise. Boom. Kids mine. Yeah. You know what's funny? This is the this is uh the eighteen hundreds. Actually it's a legal thing now, so it really is true. My kid. Yeah, honestly. Wild. And that's uh that's where things end off, right? It it, it comes to a pretty quick little cutoff at the end there. Yeah, I, I, I still had uh eclipse to go on my Pink Floyd uh playthrough, and I was like, come on, man, but Okay, you know, there really is no dark side of the moon. It's all dark, so it's okay. Um, all right, I have a few questions for you, James. We're going to just speed run this. Uh, right. What's what's going to get your Christmas turkey for this particular adaptation? Besides the brevity of everything, I would say probably... I don't want to go with it, because I'm sure you might want to go with them, but uh, I got to give it up for Seymour Hicks. Like, he's just so good. He's solid in his performance. He is visually stunning, actually. Like, he just makes himself into something that you want to look at and study and understand how he got to that point, part in his life. And um, the regret that someone would have that they did that to themselves, right? He shows. And yep. uh, in the flashbacks and it's and the flash forwards and the presence. And it's it gets my it gets my it's my turkey. Uh, uh, my turkey is going to go to the choice to make Marley play all of the other ghosts as well and just have it be like one continuous crazy vision. I don't love so these short versions of A Christmas Carol. The issue I always have is that Scrooge's turnaround feels really like, oh, it didn't take much. This guy must have been teetering right on the edge, right? I felt this about the Mickey Mouse one. I felt it about the other kind of like shorter animated ones we've watched. Um, and this one's no different, especially I think the fact that it's like he doesn't even go on like a journey. He just kind of gets shown, like you said, a PowerPoint in his room. Right. But I think right. if you're going to do it that way, having cutting out the the kind of transition between each of the three ghosts and just have Marley be like, OK, I'm just going to send you on one crazy trip in this moment to see your past, present and future real quick. OK, make a decision is an artistically right. interesting choice. And I think it's it's bold considering how old this version is to make that big of a deviation from like kind of the accepted version of the story. It was probably just by necessity, which is sometimes the best thing because some, you will have to think outside your comfort zone or think outside what was given to you by the original text and creative new ideas come from that. And it's that, that it worked. I, if I hadn't gone with Seymour, John, I would have gone with some variation of Marley. That was that was my second it, or my first even because Marley's great. Yeah, it was really wonderful. Um, on the other hand, what's going to get your lump of coal for this particular adaptation? Oh, um, 
There's good options here. Not bad, not a bad adaptation. Um, but I would say probably that. Why would you have a future dream sequence with the Cratchits? Yeah, the Cratchit future dream sequence. Like that's an editing thing you could have fixed in post, like the Star Wars Death Star run. Like just cut the title card. You don't need that there. Put that later on in the movie after the creepy scene, right? And then it ends with Scrooge having a lovely Christmas dinner with the Cratchits. And it's reality. It does feel like that's a better place for that. Like, that's right? a natural. It, yeah, that's a very strange choice. We can um, fix that ourselves right now with Adobe. Like, it's not even like that difficult to do. <laughs> I'm not even like, I got free time tonight. I just might do it for the shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I think if, if this other thing didn't exist, I might've gone that direction as well. But for me, the lump of coal absolutely goes to that hand kiss at the end. I just, it squicked me out so much and it was such a strange, like over, overindulgent choice in that moment where I was like, there's so many other ways you could have communicated what's happening here. I, I guess in defense of that, because it really didn't clock for me, honestly. I, I noticed it, but it wasn't as pawing to me. Um, I think it was at the level Seymour was giving everything else at. I guess he felt he needed to match it there. Yeah. But maybe not. <laughs> There's a there is a sweet spot of like familiar intimacy between Bob and Scrooge. And when it lands just right, that moment is like one of my favorite moments in the whole thing where he like looks at Bob and is like, wow, like I really appreciate that you have stuck by me through all of these years of abuse. Like it really communicates like something that has shifted in Scrooge fundamentally. And for me, it was so distracting. I just couldn't get over how odd the choice was. All right. So let's play this out for a second here. New segment. Scrooge's affection. What level of physical conduct would you be comfortable with where it would reach its peak? Where Scrooge can show physical affection for Bob that isn't creepy or throws you off in the scene with how it's being played? I can tell you exactly what it is in my head. Like if I were directing the scene, yep. it's it's a like it is a clap on both shoulders hands on both shoulders like and it and it starts off as like a ha bob and then and then it stops and he looks this man in 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 the windows of his soul and realizes that this is his friend and might be the only friend that he has right so it's like merry christmas bob and he slaps his shoulders and then it's like a slowdown and he's like realizing like the opportunity he has to like give back to this man. Right. And that's yep. like a merrier Christmas than I've given you in a very long time. Cause I think that's one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. And you could do a handshake, you could do whatever, but I think the hands on the shoulders is like, it's intimate in an appropriately boundaried way for like boss to employee, but also like maybe friends. We don't know. That's what I envision. Like that's kind of my picture of this in my head. I totally knew you were going for the arms and the shoulders. I because it's it's that's how you do it naturally. It's a arm slap that yeah. mirrors on the other side, and then you're there, and you like you said the realization. I would have the handshake, like I would have. This is totally how Picard should have done it. Um, you have the maybe hands a Bob off. go for the handshake afterwards. Well, no, no, no. Here's what. Well, that'd be cool, but I I see 
He sees that he's having this moment, but he knows it's not professional. So he takes his arms down. He fixes his vest like he would on the Starship Enterprise, right? Because <laughs> this is totally Picard who's doing this for me right now. Merrier Christmas than I have. Like, right there. Like, yeah. like back to business, but acknowledging who he is. Like, I would like a little, like, have to keep it professional, but the handshake is like, we're friends, you know? Can I zag on you slightly? Because I like that. Bring but it. I think you don't make it the a Merrier Christmas that I've given you, because that's the tenderness. You, right. you give him the, all right, we're going to button it up and be professional on, now I want you to go out, and I want you to buy another thing, and he's yes. walking back to his desk before you dot another eye bob. Like, that's where you put it, where he's pulling right. it together, but he's like, you know what? I'm going to be Fezziwig now, right? I'm going to be like a tough boss, but you're going to really like that I'm a tough boss. Okay. Do you see this in your Christmas future, or is this going to stay in your Christmas past? I don't know, man. After Pink Floyd, Old Scrooge, I might have to make this a tradition. That was pretty good. Um, you know what? Yeah, I do see this. Sometime in the future, I will definitely revisit the whole thing. I will watch this again with Dark Side of the Moon. I will be very comfortable. I will enjoy myself. And I will have a Merry Christmas to Seymour Hicks dragging this movie through the technology and the method of the time, the filmmaking yeah. was not quite there, but he's given it his all, and I would definitely do this again. John, yeah. how about you? Um, I don't think so. So I appreciate silent film artistically. I don't know that I've ever seen a silent film that I'm like, I need to watch this again on a regular basis. That's just me. And I think there might be like like people who are a little bit more film aficionado than I am who are like, that's a crazy thing to say. I I just there are so many versions of A Christmas Carol where I don't have to like very quickly read the title card and then sit there while all the slow readers kind of get through. the. That sounds like a humble brag. No, I don't. I don't think it was good enough at anything it did that I'm like, I would rather watch this than another version. I would sit with you and watch a like, let's listen to Dark Side of the Moon while it plays just to see how it pairs up for sure. But I mean, that when novelty the- approach might be it. When the great gig in the sky is singing and you're watching Seymour Hicks give it his all, it's a pretty good combo, friends. That's wild. That is wild. Well, now we really do need to pay our clerk. So uh, I hope you enjoyed this kind of like lengthy amuse-bouche of A Christmas Carol because when we come back, we are going to be talking about 1978's The Stingiest Man in Town. So you better stick around. If I stopped you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, wouldn't you? Hmm? But you don't think me ill-used if I pay a day's wages for no work, do you? Hmm? Tis only one cigar, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. options okay i could have listened to it with uh the cars the cars i could have listened to it with actually i've always wanted to try listening to silent movies with like the phantom of the opera the musical because i don't know just there's the phantom of the uh, phantom of the island phantom of the opera like silent movie that i love too that is one i would definitely watch again Mm -hmm. but what i didn't know john starting off today 
was that I was going to be re-watching a version of A Christmas Carol that I watched a bunch of times in my childhood when I decided to watch The Stingiest Man in Town. <sighs> yeah. So, welcome back. I hope you are uh, full up on your eggnog and and candy canes and, and whatnot and are ready for like a a a dip into kind of like Christmas film royalty a little bit because yeah. we are talking about Rankin mother loving bass bum, a Christmas bum. Carol. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> do, 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 do. That's, like a, that's a, that's a little them. jingle. Yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> um, okay. Before we go on, when you think Rankin Bass, what is the Christmas special that comes to your mind? What would your Christmas special be? Okay, I think this is a tricky one because I am a I am a like sacrilegious as it is to say, like kind of an apostle <laughs> of the Rankin Bass Christmas special. Like to me, it's not Christmas if I haven't watched at least Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Ooh. coming to town. Um a recent edition, Jack Frost, is actually becoming one of my favorites. I really enjoy Jack Frost quite a bit. But animation, good. That's stop motion again, right? Because I think it's I have a stop motion one. Yeah, yeah, that um, one I think really lands well. I think visually. Little Drummer Boy is like a work of art. Just the visuals. I think there's some elements of that that are like culturally problematic, but it's it the visuals, the music, the 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 way it's like color graded and lit, everything about it is tremendous. Um, I mean, I could go on and on. I, I didn't grow up with like year without a Santa Claus um, mm. or Rudolph and Frosty's Christmas in July, but like, I appreciate those ones as well. I just didn't have those when I was a kid. So I didn't see them as much as these other ones that were in like the Christmas movie box that came down every, you know, late November, early December. That's a good box. That's a good, a good box. box. It is a good That's box. A good box. <laughs> yep. But believe it or um, not, I have never seen this version of A Christmas Carol before. So what was your favorite ra- one of them, though? Like, if you had to pick or you can't pick. I would say probably Santa Claus is coming to town. I like that one a, one a lot, a lot. And that's kind of like the that's like the Captain America, the first Avenger of the Rankin Bass yeah. cinematic <laughs> Christmas universe a little bit. It- it is all tied together. The, the stop yeah. motion ones are all tied together. Funny enough, the one that I really like, one that I watched on a VHS off a tape off taped off TV version, was actually Frosty the Snowman. That mm. one, I love the animated Frosty the Snowman. I think yeah. the magician is a funny, snidely whiplash wannabe guy. Messy, 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 and it's just a solid, solid Christmas special. So, you know, it's funny. We didn't have Frosty the Snowman when I was growing up. What we had was Frosty's Winter Wonderland, which is the Ooh. official sequel where he gets married and they make like the snow preacher and Jack Frost yeah. is the bad guy. But then he oh, would go like... on to have his own special where he's the good guy. And it's like the same design and the same actor. Rankin Baz was cool. doing it before before Marvel even knew which way was up. That's all I'm going to say. Oh. There you go. There you go. So this is connected with that in the sense that these are the guys, this is the crew that makes the Christmas specials. Yeah. Up until probably sometime in the early 80s, because this is 1978 here. Yeah. 
they're making one of these at least a year, right? Yeah. Like they're just pumping them out one after another. And a, a pretty wide catalog of things that are not Christmas specials. I mean, yes. they have other holiday specials. They very famously adapted The Hobbit and The Return of the King, marginally less successfully. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> hey, they got us across the finish line on an animated narrative of the Lord of the Rings. Like, we'll, we'll leave it there. But they Kind of accidentally. It. The story of that is really weird. Tune into our other podcast sometime down the line right. for Cut that story. Cut it off right there before we go on. But dang. Yeah. <laughs> so this, this is an interesting piece, this film. So this is 1978. Um, it is not an original piece. So like Rankin Bass did not come up with these songs for this production. Really? Yeah, this is actually an animated adaptation of um, The Stingiest Man in Town, which was an episode of the NBC anthology series, The Alco Hour, or The Alcoa Hour. It's spelled A-L-C-O-A, which was one of these like 19 mid 50s kind of variety show sort of things, right? Where they would do these like live musical specials. Um, if you. Uh, for a frame of reference, if any Sondheim fans are out there, Evening Primrose was like something like this. Like, sure. there's a there's a lot of interesting examples, and we'll be getting to one of those interesting examples uh, pretty soon, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this originally the the original version of this from the '50s starred Basil Rathbone as Scrooge, right? Wow. Yeah, yeah. So it's like a heavy hitter. Um, I I don't know enough about that version to say whether like the book is the same, the script. I do know that a lot of the many, many, many songs that are in this movie were pulled from that, which explains the quality of some of them, I think. Are they all from the original? Uh, are, they, are, they, are they the I, I can't say like with 100% certainty, but I'm 90% certain that most of these songs are pulled from that original special. And there were more wow. songs in that special that didn't get used in this version, believe it or not. God, what, was, what was it? The Les Mis of A Christmas Carol? Like, I, I kid you not. I have that written in my notes, that exact same question, because <laughs> there are so many songs in this. It's getting scary, John. We're getting, we're getting scary here, honestly. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, the cast in this is really interesting. So you've got um, the narrator is Tom Bosley, who's kind of doing like a like a Gonzo and Rizzo sort of a situation. Right. He's not playing Charles Dickens. He's playing B.A.H. Humbug. Um, we'll get to him in a second. Right. You have, of course, because yep. it's Rankin Bass, you have Paul Freese, you have Robert Morse. Right. Who are like Paul Freese is like essential yeah. Rankin Bass. Right. Um. Yep. You have Theodore Bickle playing Jacob Marley in this, who like originated the role of Captain Von Trapp on Broadway and uh, among many, many other things. Right. There is there's a lot of names in this. Uh, we get uh, Roger Morse, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Robert Morse. I'm sorry, uh, he, yeah. who played uh, Finch in the original Broadway cast and movie of uh, how to succeed in business without really trying. And. His voice, if you know it, when he pops up, I didn't even have to look up the IMDb. I was like, oh, there he is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also the voice of Jack Frost, which is fun. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, 
the the big name in this because there's usually a pretty big name in these things is Walter Matthau as Scrooge. I have some thoughts and feelings about that performance. All over the place, just like the spectrum. Oh boy. This guy is, Oh my God. Like at one moment it's landing perfectly. Yeah. Like, like, let's just get into it. So we get our intro with the humbug here, right? Yeah, so this is, uh, continues to be Jacob Marley is dead, and we we're talking about the stingiest man in town. Was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And one was in those ships, all three, on Christmas Day in the morning. Yeah, so our intro... <laughs> Is Tom Bosley as, as B.A.H. Humbug. He's got a badge. They're trying to be Jiminy Cricket here so freaking bad. He's Jiminy, Cr- Jiminy Cricketing pretty hard. Um, it's insane. It's There's okay. a weird there's weirdness with this character where I spent the first like two thirds of this movie thinking Scrooge doesn't know he's there. And then it becomes very clear that Scrooge does know he's there. And it's just choosing not to acknowledge <laughs> It's like the you can't create rules and then break them, but they yeah. never established any rules. So I guess I'm not I can't be mad at them. It's also like he's what? both the narrator, but also experiencing it along with him. It's a weird choice, right? Rizzo and uh, um, Gonzo did it better. Yes. Yeah. Um, the only thing that would have made Rizzo and Gonzo better if they were named Charles and Dickens. That was my Agreed. only gripe. <laughs> Agreed. 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 They get they, the Marley's was good, but that is that was a mistake. Understood. Yeah, yeah. Um, um so, uh, <laughs> can we talk about our first musical number? Well, we'll get there, right? So this version tips its hand pretty early when he's like, "I want to talk about Ebenezer Scrooge, the kindest and most generous man in town." Wait a minute, you don't know? You think it's weird that I'm calling him kind and generous? Well, he wasn't always that. <laughs> This is so boomer, go, uh, greatest generation thinking. We all know the freaking story, right? Yeah. Like, sit down and I'll tell you the story again. Like, that's to what's be fair. Our podcast here. is strong evidence for that being the case. Right, right. Well, well yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, they've been doing this since we now know at least 1917. Right. Right. So we've already got like half a century under film versions of this. And there are for sure film versions of it from before 1917, which is crazy. And so they're dealing with an audience that already knows the stakes. So why even like pretend they exist? Yeah, it's 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 a weird choice. I I would not. I always think you got to let the audience, you know, have well, depending on the narrative. But you got to give that suspense there, that little bit of doubt if things are going to pull through or not um and to this version's credit it it avoids the trap that sometimes happens with christmas carols where really all they're doing is figuring out which things to cut and then all the rest of it is just pure dickens this version makes adaptational choices in terms of like how the dialogue is written where sometimes it's dickens sometimes it's not they use kind of what fits the version of it they're trying to do and kind of rewrite the rest to kind of update it for the audiences of the time right they try, they try to work the quotes into the songs. They really try mm-hmm. to foreshadow the rhymes in a lot of sense. Like you could like, you know, if you know what they're going to quote, 
you, you're five lines ahead of them in the song. It's like, oh, I see the rhyming pattern. I know what you're supposed to say. Yeah. It's not bad. It's, but it's sometimes it's a little, I don't know. It's like, like a little winking. None of these songs are catchy. Not uh, a, with, with maybe I'm going to give one big exception, maybe two. With our first song, Humbug. <laughs> okay, actually, Humbug Humbug is pretty good. It's just freaking humbug. bananas. It's so bonkers. It's, it's, Walter Matthau is given his all in this weird song. And look, the rest of the song, I don't remember a damn thing. But I finally get, and this is why I've always wondered about it. Why is Humbug not a big thing in these movies? I remembered as a kid, Humbug was everywhere in these freaking Christmas carols. This is the version I watched on the Disney Channel on repeat during the holiday season, commercial free. And gosh darn it, they say humbug like a thousand times in this movie. And also like Bosch quite a bit. Uh, He says Bosch more than once, which is an insane thing to say. That's like, it's not a phrase anyone uses anymore. It was like his sling blade, like grunt. Mm. (laughs) Like he... (laughs) Um, okay god there's there's so many entry points we could take with this thing i'm gonna choose the entry point of walter Matthau, not even remotely attempting to sound british at all and he's not the only one to be fair no 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 and look you're paying for my voice you're paying for walter Matthau. he is a movie star I think we've maybe talked about this before, but there are movie stars and actors at this point, right? People who would disappear into the role and people you are paying for who they are. And Walter Matthau was a brand. The Odd Couples, everything he was doing with uh, Jack Lemmon. And here you're paying for the guy from Bad News Bears, who is now like a kid icon, kind of, because he was a star in that movie. Yes, Bad News Bears, the 1970 movie where kids drank beer. Woohoo! <laughs> Jeez, oh man. Um, yeah, the way this starts is weird because we get like a little bit of him like being Scroogey and mean and then it like skips to him being in bed and Marley's ghost starting to show up. At that point, I was like, oh my God, they're just going to skip the county house completely? That's a wild choice. But it's yep. like a teaser. They're like teasing and then you get the credit sequence and you're flying over London and this boring song is playing. Lamest, lamest, lamest flyover of London in yeah. any adaptation. It's really turgid. <laughs> it's like, what was the animated one we watched earlier? The really good one. Oh, the um, the one where Milo was on? Yeah, that version had some of the greatest flyovers of London in anything. That's what you can do with animation. You can do things that it's hard to do. Um, I will say this. Rankin Bass just has this, there's this indefinable feel that is so specific to them, regardless of whether you're talking about their stop motion or the, the traditional animation. Right. And a lot of their animation is being done, you know, in, in Japan, I believe. Um, And it's not like, I'll just say it. It's not good animation, but it's animation that knows how to effectively. It's like effectively cheap animation. It's animation that. Plays in its own arena, 
right? Yeah. It knows what it is. It can do what it can do, and it uses its uh, skills to the best of its ability. Honestly, like yeah. the flyover is not that great, but it look we're being super critical on this podcast right now because we've seen every other version of a Christmas Carol. If you're, if it's 1978, you just had a beer, you're sitting down on the couch with your kids about to watch a version of a Christmas Carol. It's not that bad of a way to start the show, but go to the bathroom. Yeah. And we're going to see them do like much, much better in like the Tolkien properties, right? Mm. That, that art design and animation is actually very, is, is pretty strong for doing oh, a similar thing i'm sure its budget is a little bit higher um yeah but the detailing like just yeah. think of like a random goblin or orc from uh mm-hmm. lord of the rings uh, return of the king or the hobbit my gosh not talking about tolkien let's go yeah <laughs> um so uh fred shows up he his gift for scrooge is this extremely modern looking tie like anachronistic <laughs> looking and and they have this song back and forth that you mentioned earlier humbug which is just oh. a, a buck wild song. I mean, these two are like aggressively singing back and forth at each other. I'll drop some clips here because I don't I don't think we're in any like real significant danger because you got to hear some of what's going on, particularly like Walter Matthau, who clearly isn't like a singer singer. He's doing like a he's doing a the version of singing that like a middle aged old man who doesn't have to sing does. I abominate old Saint Nick. His reckless spending makes me sick. I think Saint Nick's a lunatic. When you say old Saint Nicholas, I say bosh. You rang. Um, yeah. It is. It's really silly, but I kind of dig it. Like yeah. we get these really like nice animations of Scrooge like really stomping his feet in time yeah. of the music, and it's kind of it's playful. And yeah. I could see this on a stage as the opening number. For Christmas Carol, after maybe some sort of other generic overture, here we go, humbug. And if yeah, I I do wonder what someone with a little bit more like charisma and energy, like than Walter Matthau doing this phoned in voice acting for this cartoon, would be able to give to it. Like maybe up the tempo a, sl- a little bit with like a live audience, it could be a lot of fun. Um, after Fred leaves, we don't get the charity collectors, if I remember correctly. Not to my knowledge, no. Yeah, no. And what happens instead is Scrooge guilt trips Bob into working for free on Christmas. It's like he's boohooing into a into a uh, a little handkerchief. Like <laughs> it's wild, absolutely wild, uh, manipulative, crazy stuff. I, I'm gonna say it. Not. My Cratchit. Not a bad Cratchit, but not my Cratchit. This, this is Cratchit's... the biggest sucker. Yeah, he's put he's a pushover. Like it's almost like like how do you feel bad for this guy? He's getting pushed over so much to this. But yeah. not, it, he's not and a I bad mean, guy. We've seen Bobs who are pretty big saps, right? Like in the Alistair <laughs> Sim one, he's a pretty big pushover. Like we've seen yeah. we've seen Bobs that really, really just open themselves up to being taken advantage of. This has to take the cake, though. Like literally accepting no Christmas pay. Yeah. And still getting reprimanded to be here sooner the next day and all that. Like yeah. being early. Like that's yeah. Sorry, Bob. You're not being that strong uh Strong Cratchit this time. Yeah. Um, and we get a nice, there's a really funny moment where um, 
where Scrooge kind of acknowledges Marley's death and he's like, oh, Jacob, you're so lucky you don't have to be around all these boobs and idiots. And it's also nice for me. I don't have to split the profits anymore. <laughs> That's when I knew we were watching the right version because that hit me like Scrooge going to the past. I was like, I remember that quote. I yeah. remember that. And that that really, like, I was like, I was hoping. And in the next scene, it was confirmed because we get the walk to the house. Well, actually, no, we get a song here. Yeah, we, we do. Well, we get the title song. It's the stingiest man in town, which I would, is like the wish.com version of the There Goes Mr. Humbug from the Muppet Christmas Carol, if we're being totally yes. honest, because it's all the yes. people of the town singing about how stingy he is. Um, uh, couple, a couple not, choice lines yeah. in there. Yeah. The the one about um, he wouldn't pay a compliment, I thought was pretty funny, or he wouldn't give a bride away, right? He's so yeah. stingy, right? Um, that was pretty good. I, cl- I got that one, yeah. And when his verse goes rolling by, now man alive is gonna cry. But you can bet his ghost will curse because he's paying for the curse. It's just clunky. And I, I will say this one of the things I like a lot about Rankin Bass Christmas specials is the music. Like, I think some of them have got just like really, really like iconic, catchy music. And this yeah. just doesn't like there's a couple of songs that i guess are fun but they're not very good and i do think that's a byproduct of it being adapted from this much much older Mm. like thing it's like we already have kind of like old-fashioned sensibilities in the writing of this and then it's using it's like trying to filter even older fashioned sensibilities in terms of like how you write songs for a property of this kind it's really it's a little disjointed, like you're saying there. It also feels very much like the Albert Finney version, the sequence, yeah. when he's going yeah. around collecting. And again, nothing exists in a vacuum. You see these kind of play into each other. Albert Finney was 1973 or something like that. Mm-hmm. 72, right after Oliver. So yeah, this is definitely influenced by that, I feel like. And it's... He's straight up stealing from people in this. Like, it's not paying. That's what the che- the cheater thing that I was talking about earlier. Like, he's just yeah. a crook in this one. The worst. He's not stingy. He's a criminal. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's literally doing actual crimes. Um, right. They do sing about him going to hell at one point in the song, which tickled me quite a bit. I was like, wow, we're just going to go straight there. And I will say this special goes straight there when it comes to religion a couple of times in a pretty provocative way. John, this was new Hollywood, baby. The the training wheels were off. All things were game. All right. All right. Like Godfather is out, has been out for five years. Deer Deer Hunter's coming out next week. We're going to say hell in our Christmas special for children. So we we get to the knocker scene. Was it <laughs> just me, right? Or did you think the knocker pre-transformation was Marley's face? I thought it was Marley's face. I also thought it was scarier than what we saw. Okay? Yeah, what we what we actually see when he sees Marley's face is is like it's it's a it's crossed the Rubicon a little bit. To the point where right. it's like like goofy how how spooky it is. 
So to describe the door knocker real quick, it was a imagine like a very like like the I don't want to say like a mask from the mask, but kind of, but drawn out a little bit with a smooth kind of art deco brow. a little. Yeah. Um, very much something you could see in a Tim Burton movie, like a dour know? looking human drawn human face. Right. And it's, you know, like Jacob very, Marley. Right. Right. And it's kind of eerie looking and it was cool. And then it simply crossfades pretty lamely, honestly, yeah. into a Halloween mask that yeah. would be gorsh in the 1950s. Okay. Like it was like, what am I looking at here? And it's not just like it's there for a second and to shock you, like a jump scare. It fades in, hangs there. For a long time, and then there's the commercial break, and then it comes back and still hangs there for a while after the commercial break. Now, I do know about this in sometimes, and I don't know if this would have been played into here because this was probably only for reruns, but sometimes they would let things in animation be long, have like chunks of stuff you could cut out. I guess they just left in 10 seconds here so they could cut out maybe because they did not need to linger on that face. And the music had already kind of stopped almost at that point. Like, or just and reached the crescendo and just kept going for a moment. Yeah. What's also kind of implied by the design of the knocker, because we know that Marley used to live in this house, like Scrooge took Marley's house after he died, is that Jacob Marley had door knockers made of his own face. <laughs> That's kind like of the that. implication here, right? Right. I didn't think about that, but I like it. I like it a lot, John. I like yeah. that. I, and it does look like him if we get to the other uh, part of the movie in a second. He does right. look like Yeah, because the Marley face we see here is like he's pulling like a spooky goblin face. It, and it's not necessarily what he's going to look like later on. It's a face that you would see at a party where you're actually listening and dancing to. There was a one horn, one eye, flying purple people eating. <laughs> like, like, that's this type of mask. And it's. It threw it's me a, out of it. Like it's a proto version a, of like the Rankin Bass goblins from The Hobbit. Oh, of doubt insult the go- Hobbit <laughs> goblins by comparing it to this. John, I'm being actually serious. Not even joking. That is good. This is crap. Yeah, and it's not helped by the way that Walter Matthau voices Scrooge in distress in this, which is to be oh. like, oh no, it's. Jacob Marley. It's such a like his. He makes such weird choices. It really took me out of some moments where I was like, "Are you making fun of this? Like, what is happening?" Anyhow, probably five five sheets of the wind at this point. Like, let's be honest. Like he <laughs> he probably had a he probably either had smoked something or drank something or took something and was getting a paycheck. John, oh, I just have to sit here and talk. Oh, give me a drink. Let's go. I do wonder if some of it is that I don't know if Rankin Bass traditionally did animation first and then matched voice to animation or if they recorded voice first and then animated based on voice. Because I my animation professional brother is going to correct me on this, but I do think either one of those two things can happen. I think it is more it's if I understand it, it's more animation and then voices, I I think. Um, but I could be no wait wait a minute. I am completely flipped there. I think it was the other. Uh, we don't know. Anything. I do think it's usually voices then animation, but for a property yes. like this, when they're yes. when like animation is being done much. overseas, I'm wondering what that relationship is and whether that's informing some of his like acting choices. 
Either way, like that covers maybe some of the bad acting choices, not all of the bad acting choices. Um, Yeah. The way Marley appears in this is pretty fun. Like Scrooge's candle turns on and makes like a funky sci-fi sound effect. And then there's like this (laughs) spooky shadow with all these like tentacles on the wall. Right. Look. The coolest looking thing visually, maybe in the whole th- special, is yeah. that Marley ghost intro, that that weird monster. And I got me really excited for the Ghost of Christmas Future. A- anyhow. Um... <laughs> I'm saying nothing. I just I say I expressed how I felt at that moment in the movie. Yeah. Let's go. Um... There's a couple of really funny moments with Marley. I like the overall design of Marley is great. And most of the character designs in this are great. Um, you know, Rankin, and, yeah. Rankin Bass has a kind of like particular look, right? I can file for Rankin Bass. Yeah. When Marley appears, voiced by Theodore Bickle, there's one moment where he's trying to scare Scrooge and he just turns into a giant head. And I laughed out loud while I was watching it because it was such a bizarre animation choice. Because what happens is his head just kind of grows and his body gradually disappears. And Scrooge is like, whoa! And then the head shrinks and the body reappears. And it's like, I gotcha. <laughs> Do you believe me now? <laughs> um. Marley's song, so like a lot of these, most of these scenes are like songs interspersed with dialogue. Um, so he's doing like the general Marley dialogue, and then he has this song called I Wear a Chain. Repent your crime, repent in time, or you repent in pain. For if you wait until too late, you'll never break your chain. Which feels very much like they just started playing like the funeral march and he made up lyrics to it as he went along. He's like, I wear a chain, a heavy chain, don't get caught in a chain. (laughs) It feels like he's just trying to come up with stuff to say. Because I've been working on a chain gang. When I saw the title of the song, I was hoping for something like a little catchier. But again, like none of these songs are like catchy it's it's uh it's sad but i will say this for the whole marley sequence i love how they presented everything around marley and the song yeah the afterlife's influence the specters outside the window will go to that part of the scene Yes. So we get a really, really good version of the phantoms in the night where like when Scrooge looks out, they are like carpeting the city like it's everywhere he looks. It is just phantoms and they're all standing and looking up at him and being like, repent, repent. Right. Because they can't and they want to because they know their sin now and they are begging for him to repent. And it is a Greek chorus. It's you're right. It's a sea of them, yeah. and it's it never ends. And I don't know if it's it's on the par with the one. I think it's the Seymour Hicks version. I could be wrong, uh, but where there is the woman on the street that the uh, spirits are trying to give their gold to, and they're trying to give their uh, treasure to, but they just they can't. It was in one of the earlier films. That's I think it's the Al- that's the Alistair Sim one. 
because we don't we don't yeah. see Marley in the Seymour the the thirty Seymour Hicks one. He's invisible. Right, 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 one. right, right. No, no, no. But like, there is that thing where like there is somebody that is trying to give, um, and the money he's trying to throw the money at her, and it's getting like blown away by like wind. Right, that he can't right. See. Yeah, that's the that's the best version of that scene, I think. Yeah. But this is a good second, or if not, on the same level. Yeah, I think just the scale of it. Mm-hmm. Is and the scale of it and the indictment of Scrooge in that moment and his reaction to it works really well. Um, Mathal definitely <laughs> he goes a, a lot of levels for his regret and fear, but he sold that pretty well. I felt, yeah, there's a couple moments where he lands and then just a lot where he's like flailing. Um, mm-hmm. so another moment where I kind of laughed pretty hard was literally the second the window closes, his bed curtain opens and Christmas passes. They're like, all right, man, let's go. I'm here. Let's go. (laughs) He comes in like, so there's no pomp or circumstance around it at all. He's just like, Hey, I'm the ghost of Christmas past. Come on. We got to get out of here. And let's talk about this ghost of Christmas past because we have, we have a hodgepodge of choices here. Okay. We have, Parts of him that are very similar to the book, like the cap is there and the mm-hmm. light on the head. But he's also like an old, like an old man with a long beard, I think. Even. He's like a tiny, a tiny old man, no beard, long white hair. That was he's good. got yeah. like all the light blasting off the top of his head and he's like barefoot with a white robe. So it's. Reminiscent of the Ghost of Christmas Past in the Alistair Sim version. Remember that one was kind of like a little old man as well. Like it's sort of yeah, okay, yeah, I see that. So we we really liked the one where um, and this is killing me. The name of the animator is escaping me. It's been too long since we've done this show. But the one animated mm-hmm. one without the an, the Alistair Sim animated version, that's the one that had the ghost of Christmas past that was like always changing. Right. right. And it was just like really eerie and like kind of hard to pin that, down. That slapped. That was awesome. which is which is, I think, my favorite version out of any that yeah. we've seen. I think that one is good. This one is, is it- almost like the opposite of that, where it's like instead of it being constantly in flux, it's just like a bunch of things all at once. And you just have to be like, you have to accept that that's what it is. Yeah, it's like a gnome version of it. It's not bad, but yeah. it definitely is. When you know what that can be, when you, especially in animation, like you're saying in the Alice Sim animated one, or if take the Christmas Carol one with the Muppets, like the puppetry, you could get something very interesting there mm-hmm. and do a lot. That's probably the most experimental you can get with these three ghosts. And yeah. to see something that is kind of like the like the reasonable doubt verdict of like Ghost of Christmas Past. Like, like you're not guilty of like doing a bad version, but that's just because I got a reasonable doubt that you are the Ghost of Christmas Past. Like, sure. Your honor. Yeah. <laughs> we'll say this, right? So like, I always go back to like, how is it described in the text? Because the text for that particular ghost is really tr- tricky. It does... It meets the requirements, right? Like you have to if if we have a rubric for Ghost of Christmas Past, it checks the necessary boxes to sort of fit the description from the book. Right. But it's just not visually. It's odd. It, it's it's visually odd. It's an uncanny valley of Christmas ghosts. So f- for young Scrooge, 
we fly out and we go straight to Fezziwig. So we kind of we 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 screwed McDuckett once again because this is what Mickey's Christmas Carol did as well. You cut out the school and the traumatic childhood thing. You go right to he's this young guy working for Fezziwig. He's really into Belle. Um, um, right before that though, um, I think I mentioned on a previous episode, right? In these animated ones, I knew the one I watched as a kid by when he's talking to Marley. The coin counting scene. Oh, yeah. When they just are counting stacks of gold, right? And then Marley dies. That was the visual that, like, landed in my head as a kid. Like, whoa, that's a lot of money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I forgot, we, I forgot get... about that. They do have that little montage in there of, of Scrooge and Marley, like, evicting people and being terrible. Yeah. And that's the setup for like the chain. The chain is all these dirty deeds that he did. Um, That was good. Yeah. So the setup for young Scrooge is that he's really into Belle, obviously. And she's like, all we need is like a little cottage wherever. And he's like, no, like, you know, we we can't get married until I have like enough money. So he's already got that idea, right? That he wants to take care of her. He's got some creepy vibes, this young Scrooge. Well, he yeah, the text isn't helping him, but I gotta say, Robert's kind of laying it on a little thick here. Yeah. Um, it's it's um not good. It's not a good performance. It's probably a bad perform. Probably he's doing what he's being asked to do here, and I like this actor, but yeah, this song is creepy in general. Yeah. His whole vibe is like, I want to live in Trump Tower. Like he li- they literally like in because basically what happens is they like go out into the street because it's like hot inside at the party and they're having this talk and like kissing and stuff. And it's young love. But also like they're both kind of have they you see through this song that they have different visions for their future. I want to build a cottage. We can't afford it yet. But when I've made my fortune, what mansions we will get. He envisions them like being able to afford this huge mansion, all these things. She's like, I just want you and like some cottage where we can be cozy together. Right. And even Scrooge in that moment is to him is yelling at him like, no, you idiot. Like, it's you can't make it about the money. But obviously his younger self doesn't listen. Which is always a good choice. That's that makes sense there. Yeah, I, I I just wish that I don't know when we did Christmas Carol, I, I was reminded how you can do this scene like and do this relationship, honestly, you know, and it ain't it. Yeah, so we go into the we go into the breakup scene from there and the song kind of carries over um, right. from one scene to the next. Scrooge is very upset immediately by these flashbacks like again some of it is walter matthau overacting most of the scenes that he's in yeah um how will they know i'm acting if they can't see my face yeah scrooge looks like him by the way they literally modeled scrooge on him so we're looking at his face the whole time they all kind of i think try to look like they're humans a little bit in this one in particular they definitely do right um so she breaks up with him because he doesn't like Christmas. I mean, that's that's an oversimplification. 
But like she's talking to him in his, you know, counting house or whatever. He's partnered up with Marley at this point and he calls Christmas a humbug. And she's like, I don't even know who you are anymore. (laughs) Look, I won't judge. You never know what could be the straw that breaks the camel's back, but it's a bit over the top. Yeah. What I do like here is that the so what happens is like she runs out. And he stays in and he's going to like follow her because she leaves her umbrella there. uh, But he doesn't. And then it's not old Scrooge who's experiencing the regret. It's immediately young Scrooge experiencing the regret. So the song is between Belle running away. It's one of these duets where the characters are in different places. Right. And he is instantly like, oh, no. Maybe I made the wrong choice. I don't know. But it's interesting because it's like, oh, look, this is a guy whose life is built on this regret that started way back when. Like, it's a different take, which I found kind of fun to explore. And here's a big moment in Jacob Marley is dead. I have been talking about how I know there are versions out there where they have Scrooge get back together with Belle. I swore this up and down. I remembered versions of it. I come here to tell you, friends. I think this is the version I thought had that. But that was probably all in my head. Because the visual we get is so darn depressing that I think little young Jimmy wanted it so bad that he thought it was real. Wow. I think it had to be that because that split screen of the two of them walking away and aging at the same time, like in a real like evil version of the Kuna Matata transition is insane. It's like he gets older and we already know what he looks like. So our attention isn't on him. Like we know like like yeah. you get both of them, but like you're drawn to her. And she just goes old and turns into, ladies and gentlemen, hope this doesn't trigger anybody, but have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? Because they pull a wonderful fear with her being just an old librarian or something like that. And like her face just, she we don't think she marries or anything. She never has kids or anything. Now, this might just be what Scrooge is thinking at that moment, or this is what actually happened to her, but it is just such a, Matt. My exact experience of watching this was like, oh, my God, she got old. What happened? And then I looked back over at him and was like, oh, my God, he's old, too. <laughs> they got right. old. <laughs> right. They got old. And I think what happened to me was I wanted them to get because I was like, but that's not how life should be. Five year old Jimmy wants you to get back together again. You look so kind of quirky a moment ago as a couple. And ah, uh, ah. Uh, uh, Wow, that's a that is a vulnerable confession for you to make on the show, James. Look, I've said a lot. I I died on that hill. I made a lot of statements on that, but it it has to be because we've gone through at least 20 plus versions now and a, a good fifth of those have been animated. And I have not yet seen that scene that I swore. But look, I am capable of doing that. I convinced it, it, myself. It's in Christmas Carol Cole in the movie. It, it is in there. We've seen one where they for sure get back one. together. One. But like, which one was that again? 
That was that's the one, the Kate Winslet one where Nick Cage is is Jacob Marley and the mice are in it. Scrooge literally murders Tiny Tim. Drake, Drake meme, not not my animated <laughs> Christmas movie. Like, like nodding head yet at this version and hand up nod at that version. Um it it, it is yeah, yeah. It's funnier to John because he can see me doing it, friends. Like I'm really like I'm actually no, doing that was actually good. the most effective like like verbalization of a meme I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but like it's totally like I I'm never watching that one again. I will well we'll we'll get to that later. So that's kind of that closes out um that closes out the ghosts of Christmas past. Um the pacing of this is all over the place. Like sometimes it feels a little slow and sometimes it's like boom, 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 a bunch of stuff happens all together. And speaking of a bunch of stuff happening all together, we yeah. got the ghost of Christmas present. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> they make the best possible casting choice. If you're pulling from like the usual stable of people that do rank and bass. You make the Ghost of Christmas present, Paul Freeze. It's it's a no brainer. This is Burgermeister Meister Burger. This is Kubla Kraus. This is like the guy for this particular vocal performance. And he's also uh, why were you there? And then you had to reload. Uh, he was also the voice of the Ghost of Christmas Pass. Was he really? And he plays another part coming up in a few mo- a few scenes. That's interesting. I did not catch that. I mean, th- but that is what he does. Like he right. they always start with like the talents of Paul Freeze whenever you get to the rank and best. And it's like, yes, yeah. accurate, accurate assessment. Um, did he, he I think he got a title card for this one as well, right? Oh, yeah, he did for sure. Yeah, um, he usually does, because I think they, as he I, as he... I think they liked working with him quite a bit. That's my impression. Um, nice. So he's like blasting fireballs all over the place in this sequence, right? Which I think is supposed to represent his like Christmassy magic. Hey, Graham, I'm not in the room, right? What room? I want to cast magic missile. The room where he's casting all these spells from. He hasn't cast anything yet. Like, that's all I thought the entire scene. He's just throwing that LARP stuff right at Scrooge. This is a moment where I would have appreciated them not doing a song. And like having a little bit of room for this thing to breathe, honestly. Because there's a couple of, I would say my two favorite songs in the piece are coming up in this sequence. Yeah, I know one of them, definitely. Yeah. One of them, like. Yeah. Did it get you a little bit? I did not see it coming. We'll get to it in a second. I was like, <laughs> yeah. ooh, we're going to take a hard right turn into that town. Okay. Yeah. Um, Next stop, so, Bethlehem. <laughs> oh, no, not even that one. But actually, that was like my third one of of three songs that like really kind of like I actually felt an emotional connection of some kind to. Um, anyway, there's this kind of like low rent Island of Misfit Toys thing that happens here where like. And and Scrooge is like, no, I don't want to be involved in this. Like, he's very insistent that he doesn't want to be connected to this in any way. But the spirit's like, I'm going to shrink you and you're going to dance with the humbug. And there's all these toys that are singing and dancing around. I could not. I watched this, James, with like less than 24 hours ago. 
I could not tell you anything about the content of this song. I don't remember what it was called. I don't remember any of the lyrics. It is so almost like scientifically forgettable. I'll tell you what it was. Commerce. You have to go out and buy things, buy them toys, buy them presents, buy that stuff, because that's what Christmas is really about. Gift yeah, wild. And that this is the beginning of this real consumer agended narrative that's pushed there about that the giving of gifts is what everything is about at Christmas. Now, I'm not saying that isn't part of the holiday, of course, but it really is like this, like you got to go out there and give gifts to people like that. They're really laying it on that part of it. It does feel a tiny little bit like maybe Rankin Bass doesn't know what to do with a with Christmas stories that aren't like Santa Claus focused because they really wallow in the Santa Claus stuff for a while here. Well, let's get to it, John. So yeah. we get our Father Christmas scene. I always, as you know, I always the visual for Father Christmas to me and the ghost of Christmas present are one in the same, right? Like that's what I yeah. think of. Um, so, uh, Ghost Christmas present, and how do we transition to the Cratchits? Do we just straight up go? They fly. He flies there. Yeah. Fireball. Yeah. He's shooting fireballs, and they fly there. Um, this was the fireball. moment where I realized that Scrooge was aware of the humbug, also. I did not realize it until this moment. <laughs> because they didn't. they don't really interact in any meaningful way, except for, like, once or twice. Yeah. You're right. This is the bit where they're flying, and first off, the humbug is like flying with them, but still needs a hand because yeah. Scrooge is holding on to Ghost of Christmas Present. The humbug holds on to go, uh, to Scrooge and says thanks or some yeah. sort of exchange there, and it's just like it's it's a movie for kids. It's fine. It's we can't, we can't overthink it. Here's the thing: the problem with Skinflint in the other version, the Kate Winslet one, right, was. It was a bad choice, but it was, he was diegetic. He was in the room. He was a part of the narrative, right? Whereas Rizzo and um, Gonzo clearly are not, right? They are, they are not really interacting with Scrooge, except for there were little breaks there, but not huge ones, winking ones, I would say. Yeah. This one just can't make up its damn mind what's going on. It's a little, it's a little stuck in between. And I, you, I don't know whether you need him to be here, right? Rankin Bass traditionally has like narrator characters. That's a very common feature. You have the groundhog and Jack Frost. You have the mailman and Santa Claus coming to town, right? You have the well, snowman and Rudolph. So like, well, you got Tom Bosley here, and like he's an amazing. First of all, he has a such, such a voice. If you watch oh, any yeah. of Happy mm-hmm. Days, you know him instantly, right? You don't need him to be anything other than your narrator. But I guess they felt like they couldn't just have a narrator. And so they created a Jimmy Cricket ripoff. I mean, look, you got Humbug. I guess somebody was like, we need something there. Humbug. A bug. Jiminy Cricket. Gold. Diegetic stuff aside, yes, the Humbug is more enjoyable. This is way more enjoyable than the Kate Winslet animated one. I just think there are smart. there are more distinct choices made there. Sure. Maybe yeah. not just with hum, just with the with the again, just with the relationship of the bug to uh, Scrooge. True, I've uh, belabored this point long enough. Speaking of Mrs. Cratchit, so we go to the Cratchit's house. I spent way too long in the scene trying to figure out if Tiny Tim just fully had a artificial leg. 
Was it just me? It looked at some of the shots like he just fully had like a rudimentary robot leg. Okay, here's what happened. They drew him like they would have made him as a stop motion figure. And the leg would have to look smaller than the other legs of the stop motion figures. And friends, think of the mailman in Santa Claus is Coming to Town and those legs. So it had to be smaller than those legs. I'm just supposing here. Just The supposing. characters all have kind of spindly limbs in this version. Right. So it's got to be smaller than those. And it looks kind of fake there, I think. I, I, I did clock the legs being weird, John. I didn't say, think fake, but something was going on there. I wondered, too, if maybe it was like, well, he's got a brace on his leg, but his leg is so toothpick thin. It's just like hard to get the detail. I think that's where I yeah. ended up landing. That could be it. My wife had the comment of the evening as she was watching it. She was like, why does Tiny Tim look like a hobbit? Which I would say is true. I was just like, well, <laughs> give it the, prototype the pro- of something to come down the line for certain. Well, this is the year after The Hobbit, right? Because The Hobbit is 77. Is it really? Yeah, I think it's 77. And wow. then did they lose money on The, the Hobbit? Because I feel like animation wise, this is a downgrade. <laughs> well, they lost the rights to Lord of the Ring because all right. I don't want to get into the weeds here, but look up the public the public domain film rights battles for Lord of the Rings. It's a madhouse, and yeah. that's why film right they, that's like all the animated stuff in the late seventies, early eighties is kind of wonky. Yeah. Um, this comes out the same year, actually, that the Lord of the Rings movie does come out, the animated one. So that's also seventy eight. So facts. Our, our our podcasts ever ever bleed together um so i i like this cratchit scene a lot i actually think the cratchits ended up being a high point of this particular adaptation for me um so i think this this felt to me like a high point like i and the cratchits in this particular version um really worked for me in this particular moment it's brief yeah. like they don't linger on it too much they do exactly what they need to do we get a lot from the siblings here too. Like we get, yeah, the, we get the most from the Cratchit siblings. I think we ever got maybe besides like the Muppet Christmas Carol. They're all doing something or have a bit right. Each member, the younger, the other brother is turning the turkey. The mm-hmm. sisters have Belinda, Belinda joke, and Tiny Tim's Tiny Tim in it. Here, one of the older sisters is just like. Which is kind of accurate, I think, to the other depictions, or at least what's in the text. There's an older Cratchit daughter, right? Uh, yeah, Martha. That's Martha, Martha. the 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 so, young adult one who's got her own job. Right, right. So she, I, I'm pretty sure that she's the one that sings the song here that we're about to get to. Yeah, she's great, and they're all just they selling how a family can make Christmas work. And how Christmas can work and should work, even if you don't have the money of a Scrooge or a Warren Buffett or something. Yeah, and they do an interesting thing here with Tiny Tim, where Tiny Tim's like very eager, right? And and up in Adam, but he's clearly like enfeebled in some way, right? So like he trips at oh. one point and Martha catches him and she's really worried about him for a second. And it sells so well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Scrooge, before he falls, goes, catch him, catch him. I want to catch him. And the ghost, the Christmas present goes, you can't. You're a ghost right now, buddy. And she does. And she's just a little bit farther away than he falls. So he does eat the ground a little bit on it. 
and so sad. And she is caring for him. And then he brings out one of the sweetest little things ever. It's a toy soldier that he got for Christmas. It's Christmas present. And he said Santa Claus brought it. Which, first off, the Metal Gear Solid uh, alert went over <laughs> my head. Like, what the hell? Like, okay, here we go. And basically looks to his older sister, his eldest sister probably, of all of them, to the one he looks up to the most maybe, right? And he's like, my friend told me it's just a clothespin that my dad painted. Is And then there is no Santa Claus. And asks, is there a Santa Claus? And Martha sings the song equivalent of, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Yeah. Yes, there is a Santa Claus for children everywhere. Chimney tops and never see him there. Um, I really liked this song a lot. This song felt I have to go back and look at the original special to see if this song is there because this song felt rank and bass to me in a way that some of the other songs didn't. There was like a this is I'm I'm, I'm I sound like a Disney adult or something, but it, there was a heart and a warmth. And and like a, a a core morality to this song that I thought felt very much like other kind of like romantic ballads that you see in other Rankin Bass properties. Very much of the time period reminded yeah. me of stuff like Stephen Schwartz. Um, mm-hmm. Very very musical pop of this nineteen seventies, right? Like that type of mixture there. And look, it is. It's a really great, great song because while it's a little bit like, first of all, it should be called Father Christmas, so it doesn't feel so weird. Uh, whatever. This Just, is for an American whatever. audience, right? I mean, this is no, an no. American Christmas, very American Christmas carol. It's a really great song. It's a really touching song. The cross fades with Santa Claus' face. Um so as people are doing charitable things and giving gifts and being awesome around the holiday season, they do this thing where they crossfade a slightly creepy extreme close-up of Santa Claus' face. And which it's is the ghost also, of Christmas present. They kind of do a transition where the ghost of Christmas present turns into Santa Claus, and then his face is the spirit that shows up whenever you do a good deed. That's Santa Claus. And so we do see Mr. Cratchit actually painting the clothespin, um, all these other low touching moments. And Martha sings it beautifully here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I liked the idea that it was like, yeah, there is Santa Claus because like really what Santa Claus is, is this idea of like unselfish love. Right. right. And I think that that's a line in the song that like really spoke to me quite a bit. Um, yeah. It's, it's a pretty song. She has like a really nice voice um and it feels like emotionally resonant in a way that i i feel like this christmas carol felt a little bit stale up until this point for me like the yeah. scrooge and bell stuff really was like flat as a pancake so it's nice yeah. to have the cratchits be really like mm, yeah this feels really good um 
Yeah, and it's it's hearth. Yeah. And it's beautifully transitioned from that into the Christmas dinner. Right? With Mrs. Cratchit making a joke and bringing everybody back together. Um, As she does. She runs that house. And then Mr. Cratchit gives the speech as he always does. And it's it's a it's not the best Cratchit like countering of Mrs. Cratchit. Like there's not much going on there, but they get that across. Yeah, I mean, this one's much more about the schmaltz than than anything else. There is a really funny moment in here where Mrs. Cratchit is like the founder of the feast. What are you talking about? That canary I'm cooking, which is really interesting because that is a direct tie into the Mickey version where Scrooge says, what's she cooking a canary? And I'm like, that has to be intentional. I refuse to believe that that's not an intentional little like elbow nudge to that version. Best case scenario, that's fellow animators liking other animators' work and making a reference. Worst case scenario, Disney stole something again. Lion King! Anyway. (laughs) Anyhow. um, Yeah, and you get the God Blesses Everyone. Then they go over to Fred's party. Yeah. Fred, who has a picture of Scrooge on his wall, which I found (laughs) I just enjoyed quite a bit. What a (laughs) sin. Fred, he's just not that into you, okay? There, <laughs> there's Fred going as a pilgrimage and an, uh, as a good deed to for his mom, right? There's that Fred, you know, like committing to that tradition. And then there's just, I don't want to say stalker Fred, but it's like, like yeah, Sim Fred's a good call here. This is a bad yeah. Fred. Yeah, yeah, Sim Fred. I mean, he's... Fred is always like so close to being just like a non-entity in this text. It's like I've seen it. We've had a couple of times where someone's really nailed it. And a lot of times where he's just there because he has to be there. And this one feels a little bit like he's there because he has to be there. Right. And there's not a lot of depth to him. I don't know. I don't know why some writers or maybe it's the performance. Maybe the text is there. It's just the performance isn't getting there, honestly. But like Fred with the Christmas speech. And what he does here, if you do the scene for real with the game involved too, is a really three-dimensional character. I, I I get what you're saying that he gets the short end of the stick. I just I keep saying that Fred deserves more. He's a really good character. Yeah. Cause I think if you are trying to focus on Scrooge's reformation in terms of how he treats other people, like his personal connections to Fred are less important than like his connections to tiny tim for example which this one puts more of a premium on let's let's not get mixed up here tiny tim is always a preferred or like you give preferential treatment in time to tiny tim like you need to fred is definitely first man off the titanic the this scrooge is kind of a softy like he really buckles immediately under any like emotional pressure um and then <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. Uh, my next note is, oh my, this got very religious because he's like, okay. yeah, Fre- yeah, yeah, Fred is great, but I'm still thinking about Tiny Tim, right? And right. there's this whole thing where it's like, oh, if you think that little boy is important, there's another little Christmas boy that I hope you thought was important as well. No, well, and, no, I think that was that Scrooge's line, or was that the line of the ghost? Because I can't remember exactly how it went, but it was like 
he's caring about the little boy, and he was just like, I feel like the ghost said, but he's just a little boy. And I then thought Scrooge was like, well, yeah, but okay. there was also a little boy. What? No, no, it's you're thinking about the humbug. The humbug is the one who introduces the 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 Christmas like the nativity. Yeah. So, well, no, we'll get to that one in a second because that's a that's a whole other can of beans, right? Yeah. So this man, this yeah. one is the birthday party of the king, which is is Love like that title. Yeah, I, it's an awkward lyric. I get what they're doing with it, where it's like. It's, you know, what do you bring to the birthday party of, like, the king who holds the stars in his hand? Okay, so let, let me... For people who haven't watched the special, there's a tiny little, like, toy nativity under Fred's Christmas tree that they kind of focus on. And the humbug is small, so he goes down there and he's like, I invite you to the birthday party of the king, or whatever the hell he says. And then it transitions into this really gorgeous series of, like, stained glass images and as you're seeing these stained glass images they're all images of like it's the three kings pointing to the star it's the shepherds it's it's the you know the actual nativity sequence itself and it's singing this song like what do you bring to this birthday party of the king and it's all this extraordinarily like directly religious kind of imagery and evocations in the midst of this special which has been kind of like funky quirky up until this point it's beautiful. It was also very unexpected. Wise men came in his honor, bringing incense, myrrh, and gold. But what is gold to a ruler who has all the stars to hold? I was not anticipating it at all. I will say they made the very, very, very smart choice of staging it all in stained glass. The nativity scene itself is kind of done in a kind of abstract sense from afar. You don't really get the finer details of it, which makes sense. It's a, it's a toy, so it shouldn't have as much details as, say, a human or whatever. But the stained glass scenes depicting the wise men and the whole narrative it's beautiful it's really it's quite beautiful uh i don't know if this needed that i'm not against it being there i mean it's christmas for gosh sake like what are we talking about here but it, it's very much not what dickens intended though or not it did dickens didn't lay that go that route with it as much right am i wrong in that or like he he makes oblique references, right? Like Jacob Marley talks about the wise men being guided by a star. There's, there is enough there for you to be like, well, yeah, that's the culture of the time. This is Rankin Bass, right? So right. like they have always tiptoed this line with doing Christmas properties where it's like, and we always have the Jesus angle over here on the side, like even in Santa Claus is coming to town. Right. And I mean, you want to talk about like kind of uh, of, of religious controversy, the like contest of like, is Christmas about Jesus or Santa Claus? Santa Claus is coming to town, manages to thread the needle by being like, yeah, Santa Claus is like a great Christmas character, but even Santa Claus thinks that Christmas is about Jesus, right? At one point they managed to like oh. kind of weave that in. And then of course they did little drummer boy, which is like fully just like Jesus Christmas. Okay. 
I gotta say this. You can cut this if you want, but the fact that he does it every night for that for the world, right? He does like giving the toys, right? And he can't do it because he's old now, right? So he decides to do it on the most holy of nights. That like I remember watching that for the first time, and the religion hit you hard there. I was like, whoa, okay. We're not making any bones about it. All right, just laying it out there for everybody. Um. It works to a point, but it does feel a little out of place, but not bad out of place. It's just like, it's like out of tone, but not bad, you know, like. The thing that it is trying to do is draw a line between Scrooge's desire to serve Tiny Tim and to and to protect Tiny Tim. Is a direct line to like. Jesus and Christ like unselfish love that idea that's been threaded through I don't know that it fully lands but it's a nice moment I enjoyed that sequence Uh, the next part though was the one that really got me because then it pops back over and you get the like that moment where he's like oh these shadows remain unaltered I see a crutch without an owner and a chair in a corner and Scrooge because what they do is they go back to the Cratchit house. The house is empty. You just see the chair there with the crutch leaning against it. And Scrooge kneeling over the empty chair and weeping was incredibly affecting in a way yeah. that this movie just wasn't up until this point. This was like a real turnaround for me on this of being like, I don't, this is a very milk toast version of a Christmas Carol. But then like this particular sequence, I was like, wow, this is actually pretty yeah. good. It was impressive. It was the framing was done. The pull pan up was nice mm-hmm. too. Pulling back, um, made Scrooge seem very small. Right, very small, and he will about to be even smaller in the next scene too. Where as he's crying over this, the ghost of Christmas Present pretty much is about to do what he always does and starts throwing it back in Scrooge's face. The interesting thing is, so what he does, instead of just being like, hey, you said a bunch of shitty things, what he does instead is he just starts saying the shitty things as though they're his Mm -hmm. opinions. And he puts Scrooge in the position of having to be like, actually, no. Right? Right. Because the ghost is like, so there's this, okay, so we, we lead into this song, One Little Boy. One little boy who cannot walk is not a broken toy one little boy can laugh and talk and fill a home with joy and no one else could take the place of that one little boy and the idea is the spirit starts talking about how this is just one little boy this is an insignificant dot Right. In the whole world of billions of people, if this kid dies, who cares? A bunch more are going to come through. They're going to take his place. It'll be like he never existed. And Scrooge is like, ah, like one little boy can make a joke. One little boy can like light up a home. One little. And it's I had like warm little tears in my eyes. I don't think I fully wept, but like the that idea and the way that it was presented really got to me that like even this insignificant tiny little kind of broken boy is important to this family in this moment and you can't discount that right it was amazing it was 
while I will always enjoy Humbug on a sheer shock value more, maybe, like Walter Matthau just singing his heart out on Humbug, this was really heartfelt. This was... Walter Matthau came to play on this one. He definitely yeah, wanted sure. to say something with this uh and there's it's it's a it's not a it's not foreign to the idea of the novella it fits in perfectly because what it's saying here is it's connecting back to young scrooge right that we don't see in this but like we if you know the story you know about like his childhood he had he had Alibaba. He had all of his imaginary friends. He had his stories. And a kid, a boy, can still enjoy those things. There are still those things out there that a light and he remembers his relationship with his sister. Like it's and he starts to see that tiny Tim and all all everybody, everybody in the world has the right and can have that type of moment and that type of effect on it. Yeah. Quite and if Tiny Tim is important, then all of them are important. Yes. Um, so we can, I mean, the the film moves through the rest of this pretty quickly, right? And we can definitely move through it pretty quickly as well, because yeah. at this point, the spirit's like, um, deuces, the spirit pieces out. <laughs> we get a real quick little glimpse of the Ghost of Christmas future. I looked away for a second. I looked away for a second, and I missed it. I swear, I was like, I checked my phone for a nanosecond or something, looked up. I was like, wait, wait where was the transition? What happened? I didn't hear any damn thing. It's literally, yeah. and here's the ghost of Christmas future. And yeah. we get a quick shot, and that's it. Yeah. Um, and then it's like, we already, like, they, they kind of end Christmas present by it being like, yeah, Tiny Tim's dead, and you did it. Because then it's like, and now you're dead too. Ooh. <laughs> like, they go right to tombstone right right do not oh, well, no, pass no. go do not collect 200 dollars. no no we do get an old joe scene oh right 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 and again so quick you just see like oh there's these like sketchy people at a pawn shop selling stuff and he's like wait whose stuff are they selling and then it's like it's yours because you're dead tombstone and we have that scene because paul freeze does the voice of old joe Oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Again, it was so in and out. I didn't even register that he had a line. Dude, I thought I didn't see a visual representation of the Ghost of Christmas Future. That's how bad this scene yeah. was. This is doing the whole sequence at disservice. And this is where I think you cut like the song at the start of Ghost of Christmas Present, and you probably cut Birthday Party of the King, and then you can do a little, give this a little bit more breathing room if you're trying to make this special. Um, yeah. The this. <laughs> This graveyard sequence is buck wild. So you get Marley, the the Marley reappearance at the grave, right? Yep. Fun, rare instance. Um, we didn't get a Scrooge's dad in either of these, but we did get this. Scrooge's uh, partner reappears at the grave and like the other guys and they sing a repraise of you of um, we wear a chain. Now it's you wear a chain. Wow. And then his his gravestone briefly transforms into the devil. It happened so fast, it didn't even clock for me, John. Like, it was so fast. Yeah, uh, it was a very weird choice. Like, like red skin horns, little goatee, the devil. Like, it's he's, it's just like, <laughs> hey, like I'm, I'm the devil. 
Is, but I guess that's where Pete's transition comes from, too. Like, from the Ghost of Christmas future being also another type of villain? Uh, even that, though, it's that's just the reveal is like, and it was Pete, because we need someone to be this ghost. You know what I mean? It's like, because the whole right, conceit is they're all characters. Why is the the devil? I don't know. It was, yeah, it was just very weird. It's not mentionable. And then we get, luckily, Scrooge is back. Yep. Yeah, he's back. Um, and he tells the humbug, like, oh, get away, you'll you'll burn in hell with me, which is just buck wild. And then the humbug's like, no, at you're good, man. At least he's trying to help out. We know he's redeemed now. He's like, you don't sure. deserve to die for my sin. I'm like, okay, good on you. Yeah, and then this ending. Um, so we get, like, we get a couple of things that go on here, right? Like there's the boy in the street who I believe is Walter Matthau's son. If I'm not right, mistaken, he was laying on those compliments of that is the bright boy, the best of boys. What a yeah. boy. That's yeah. my boy. Hey, listen, listen, that generation needed some like positive male father figures. So can't complain there. Again, he was a kind of a dad guy in the late 70s. From Bad News Bears on, he was kind of like somebody you would look up to as a dad for that generation. Yeah. Is he Dennis the Menace? Was that kind of one of his later? That's that's 90s, but that's when he would have been the grandfather of that generation. So it sure. was appropriate there, too. Right. <laughs> so he's like, he tells him to go buy the turkey and he's like, whose money are you going to, whose money am I going to use? He's like, money, you can use my money. And he's like kind of tossing, he tosses about 12 coins to this kid from the second story window, all of which go directly into this kid's hands. Scrooge is like a, Scrooge is like a Navy SEAL sniper. Like the accuracy (laughs) of being able to throw all those coins and have this kid catch them is wild. Um, Oh my God. He's, uh, it, it was kind of awesome, just like his enthusiasm. It was pretty. I I liked Walter Matthau. Yeah, being happy. Yeah, yeah. It was still just the acting is. It's bad. The acting is bad. The, the vocal performance is not good. It's not his strong suit. It feels like maybe he just doesn't know how to do that kind of acting. I don't know how much like vocal work he did. Um, that's just my opinion. Other people might disagree with me. Well, um, let's back up for a second. Um. I don't know where. Oh, it was Fred's. I think it was Fred's party. So the early Simpsons episodes voice of Homer Simpson was a bad Walter Matthau impersonation. They've admitted to this. That's what they were going for on the Simpsons. Fred's apartment or one of these places looks just like the Flint's, uh, uh, the Simpsons bedroom. Okay. <laughs> like living room. I'm sorry. Living room. It, yeah. The fireplace, everything. I'm like, when did we get to the Simpsons house in this thing? But that's pretty funny. Um, Scrooge turns into one of those like Merry Christmas Karens at one point where he's like, everyone should be saying Merry Christmas. Don't forget to say Merry Christmas. Like, you know, those people who get offended if you say happy holidays instead. That kind of is yeah, like the vibe ha- he ends up. I say happy holidays on purpose to annoy people like that. I I'll say Merry Christmas if I want to. But I will on purpose exclusively say happy holidays. Because if you get annoyed at somebody wishing you happy stuff, you're an asshole. (laughs) Um, There's like a little reprise of, yes, there is a Santa Claus here, which I 
I again, I feel like it's hard to pinpoint like what is the big song in this show, and I think it probably is. Yes, there is a Santa Claus, which is Close. unfortunate given this is a Christmas Carol, and it's like one of the few Christmas properties where we don't have to deal with that that fat bastard. <laughs> I actually think the boy song. Now looking back, I think the boy song might be this the strongest thing from this, and that's the song of this special, like. Each Christmas special has their song, and I know it has not really much to do with Christmas, but it has a lot to do with what the Christmas Carol is trying to say. I think if you're talking about the pop breakout song, the one people walk oh. away from this remembering, it's it's humbug. yes, there is a Santa Claus. No, no it's, it's humbug. not humbug. It's not humbug. <laughs> humbug slapped. It's amazing. It's humbug. humbug We're talking about two day, different things here. <laughs> all day, every day. Right after listening to When There's a Whip, There's a Way. Let's go. Yeah. No, Humbug is fun. Yes, There is a Santa Claus is the like, where are you Christmas or grown up Christmas list. Like it's it's the schmaltzy like this doesn't need to be married to the content of the film. It just is a song anyone could sing on like, you know, the Christmas pop charts. Like it's that song. I agree with you on other points. I think Humbug is more fun. And I think one little boy is like the emotional high point of this thing. It's the most consistent performance from everything involved animation to voice performance to uh, how it's been built to in the story up to that point, mm-hmm. like and how it lays out. It was really nicely done. Yeah. Um. So I guess what do we have left to talk about with this uh, scene after this? He buys the toys. He starts. Yeah. He Albert giving... finnies it a little bit. Yep. Which is, which you know that's a good call it's you know it's a little consumer only is the answer i which i don't like like just but they're tying it in with just giving is also just being charitable so i get what they're going for there but i would have wished i wish i we would have had some charity donation stuff here like that would have been nice yeah yeah oh but he does go back he does go back and pay back people he stole from yeah yeah and he like kind of like rescinds some evictions for people and things like that's right he, he did do that yeah um and yeah, then he he, that song is mankind should be my business which i feel like was so on the edge of being good and i don't know if yep. it was his delivery or like it was just like it didn't quite land for me in the way that i wanted it to because it was a fun idea it was as close to a natural finale of like if you're gonna like because as much as i love uh the love is found right that isn't really tied with the novella that much that isn't really where that's coming from and um what's the it's thank you very much is not the ending song of the albert finney one is it i think it is i think they do a thank you very much reprise and that's not really this is as close as you get to what Dickens is trying to say in those last few paragraphs as as you can. Oh no, get. isn't because it I it's I like life. They do an I like life reprise. I get the <laughs> heck out of here. Like I know this is a look, I I agree with you. It is not it's a kick for a three field goal. And it does make it through, but it's a it's a bonk. It hits yeah. the upright and barely gets through it, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like it hits the like, and look, that's. I enjoyed it. 
I liked where they, as soon as he started, I was like, ah, I know where this is going. And you're right. It doesn't click into that. It's just, next... I think it's just because the song itself is clunky. Like so many yeah. of the songs in this are just real clunkers. They're like droning and not catchy and like lyrically really, really disappointing. There's there's some weird musicals from the 1950s that have just those unique lyrics lyrics in there. Like they're trying to be contemporary with Sondheim and they're not as good as him. So it doesn't it doesn't work the same way. Like you like Sondheim, you give Sondheim that is the title of the song. And even if the he do he do the music way better too, but like he would find you a way to make that work. Sure, I mean that's we can't all be Sondheim, right? I mean this is like the the music equivalent of wallpaper paste. Some of these songs it's just real, real oatmeal. But but there is an attempt at being clever in there and being playful with the lyrics that I think is very reminiscent of those nineteen fifties. I couldn't yeah for sure. Feel, for remind, sure reminds me a little bit. Yeah. Um, Remind me, did we get the scene with him and Bob at the end? I feel like we got. Yeah, we I think we did. Like it's there. It's somewhere in there because he goes into mankind is my is my business right after that. Right. Oh, no. Is he. Is he at the crotchets when he does that song? Well, no, because that is where it ends. Like, it ends with him being at the Cratchits and having dinner. And the Humbug's closing narration is a line from the book that I really enjoy, actually. Like, he became as, like, good a friend, as good a master, and as good a whatever as the old city knew. May that be truly said of us all, which I think is often a, a line that we miss, but it's a really good one. Like, that idea of, like, here's what Scrooge became. I hope we can say that about all of us. God bless us, everyone. All right. It's it's the little smack over the head of you just read a morality play, right? Yeah. You just read something that's supposed to <laughs> so teach fix, you about fix your life. Smarten up, you asshole. Like it's just a little bit. Um, and hopefully we all do. Hopefully that's the best part of the Christmas spirit and why I yeah. love doing this show. God, my favorite re- part about talking about this. Yeah. Is that renewal of, uh, of the, the inner light and the spirit that keeps us going and being charitable and being good people. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. Oh, pray with it sail those ships all three on Christmas Day in the morning. James, I have some questions for you. John, ask away. To what are you going to give your second Christmas turkey of the evening in this particular adaptation? Yeah, two turkeys in one night. That's rough. Uh, but if I had to pick one, and there is some, there's actually some good options here, I think I've got to go with a moment of Mr. Cratchit painting the toy for Tiny Tip. I literally do that. Like, I don't paint clothespins and make them into soldiers, but I make toys and presents for people. And it's my favorite thing to do. It, it's you get that's you be making the magic happen, and you're the toy maker. And to see that represented on film, not in an elf workshop way, not in a manufacturing way or a depressing type of setting, but the real magic of making a toy. 
and Bob doing it, and then seeing the appreciation for it. That was amazing. That was really cool to see. Dom, what's getting your turkey? Oh, my turkey goes to one little boy. That sequence. That was. I was giving you that. That that that's that that's the real. Yeah. That. Yeah. I I think that if one little boy hadn't been in there, it would have gone to yes, there is a Santa Claus because I think that was another like high point. Um, but yeah, for sure, I, like one little boy literally emotionally moved me, which is a lot more than I think most of the time a Rankin Bass special can do, with like a couple of strange little exceptions. Um, right. I yeah, I really 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 loved that sequence a lot. I think what it said about the value of life. I think anytime uh, you can really sell me on like all Scrooge really cares about is saving Tiny Tim and that that's like his prime motivator. It, you're doing something right with that character when I when he when it seems like he cares less about dying because he doesn't want to be dead and more. It's like he can't die until he fixes that problem. Uh, on the other hand, what is getting a lump of coal for you for this particular version? Everything with the ghost of Christmas future. You gotta dwell in that for a little bit. And it always gets the it always gets shortchanged. And it just it was so bad. You blinked and you missed it. I did. I actually blinked and I missed most of it. So that gets my cold. John, what what are you giving the cold to? Okay, I'm gonna do something unprecedented for this show. It has almost never happened. In fact, I'm willing to go back through our archive and bet that it's never happened. I've never given a lump of coal to the actor playing this particular role. No! I'm going to give my lump of coal to Walter Matthau on this particular adaptation. Because I think any time I felt taken out of this, it was because of an acting choice that he was making in this special. I'm going to go toe-to-toe with Matthau. He's going to get my lump of coal. Walter Matthau is not my Scrooge. Whoa. (laughs) Now, you're not wrong in that he isn't. You don't. You will definitely fall out by, by watching his performance and know that you're watching something else. But man, I just enjoy seeing and hearing Walter Matthau. The hangover trying to give this performance. Maybe it's because I have a slight headache myself right now, and I can just imagine him trying and on some moments using it to motivate him perfectly, and on other moments just dragging ass. It's. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very interesting. it's, it's challenging, really right? Because he delivered a couple of like the of the, uh, the more potent moments, but I don't know how much of that was him versus the animation or the combination. But I will say the moments of this that flopped the hardest for me were all his moments, and that's kind yeah. of my reasoning. That is fair. That is fair. I can't deny it. I enjoyed it, but I totally agree with you in some respects there. But I enjoyed it, Walter Matthau. I will sure. love the train wreck that he is there, but yeah. Well, with that well, in mind, is this going to be uh is this going to be in your Christmas future or does it stay in your Christmas past? All right. When we say Christmas future, Am I ever going to watch this again sometime in the future? 
Yes. Purely because I have rediscovered it as a nostalgic itch for me. If I did not have that itch, would I be revisiting this? No. But because I do have that connection with this, and apparently it traumatized me so bad that I rethought, I reimagined scenes in a movie that never happened. You know what it was? <laughs> I know what it was now. I dreamed it. I dreamed it because I used to dream about scenes in movies that never happened that I wanted to see happen. Johnny Dangerously. There is a music number in that. I wanted Michael Keaton to do a song and dance number in that movie. He does not. I dreamt in first grade a full-on Johnny Dangerously dance sequence that does not happen in the movie. It's very possible that this is the one where I made up that Bell and Scrooge thing happen. So I will be going back to this before, again. John, is this in your future or your past? I think that it's probably going to stay in my past. I don't have the nostalgia connection outside of like the Rankin Bass thing. And I'm going to be totally honest. This is pretty weak for Rankin Bass. This is not their, this is not their strongest showing by a long shot. And I haven't seen everything they've done. I haven't seen Nestor, the long eared Christmas donkey, for example, which came out the year before this, they were on a downtrend at this point. Uh, but I would wager to say that it is probably my least favorite of the Rankin Bass specials that I am most familiar with. This it is a Christmas is... Carol and it is Rankin Bass. Like I'm not above watching it again. I don't know that I would seek it out. If it had some really catchy tunes and nothing else you... changed, like Walter Matthau and everything, I think that I would probably actually change my tune but i think the songs are bad enough that i'm like i don't i have no desire to listen to any of them again there are sometimes certain pieces of art that just because of nostalgia alone this is nothing new we all know this even if they're quirky and weird and what the hell is going on like the robin williams movie toys you ever see that no but i i'm aware of it completely bananarama movie I love it because I watched it when I was six years old and I shouldn't have been watching it. But, like, that's the same deal here. I am completely in on this movie, I think, to a degree, uh, purely based on nostalgia, but I can yeah. admit to its faults. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jimmy, what are we watching yeah, next time? We're watching kind of a Christmas carol. Yeah, kind of. It is. It's a Christmas carol. Uh, I would go so far as to say it's a carol for another Christmas, which is the yes. title, by the way. So in our yes. next episode of Jacob Marley is Dead, my God, you get two episodes this December. We truly aren't the stingiest men in town, James. No, um, no, 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 no. We're keeping this thing going, baby. Woo. Yeah, we're going to be watching Rod Serling's um, kind of 60s era re-spin of A Christmas Carol. Kind of like A Christmas Carol filtered through the Twilight Zone a little bit. Not to reduce yeah. everything Rod Serling did to the Twilight Zone. But I mean, to be honest, it is kind of the Twilight Zone version of A Christmas Carol. It's called Carol for Another Christmas um we're going to be hopefully recording that episode the week after this one 
And um, in the meantime, there's a couple of things that you can do. If you're enjoying the show, you can contact us at jacobmarleysdead at gmail.com. Follow us on, at least for the time being, Twitter at MarleyIsDeadPod. You can find us on Facebook. I'm going to try to branch us out into some other social media as well. You can listen to our um, kind of more regular podcast uh proto lives where we're reading our way through uh the lord of the rings we recently recorded an episode on the council of elrond which i'm almost finished editing so we're about halfway through fellowship of the ring we would love for you to come over if you like what we do it's largely a pretty similar um experience james Mm -hmm. if they really want to support us what is the biggest thing that they can do they can leave us a five star, five star, five star, five star, five star review. Um, please and thank you, friends. It helps out the podcast in a big way. And um, yeah. Um, we, you know, I have some thank yous here. Thank you, of course, to Milo Newman for our cover art. One of my favorite things about this show. Thank you to Ben DeVries for our music. Another one of my absolutely favorite parts of the show. Love getting to drop that song. And I'm really excited to have that in our edit. And of course, thank you to you listeners, especially listeners who are coming back to us after, um, you know, we're, we're taking a year off between Jacob Marley's. It's kind of our holiday thing right now. Um, we don't want to burn out too much on a Christmas Carol, but we also just don't want to. It's this is our baby. We don't want to let it die. It's one of our favorite things that we do. We get a lot of your feedback still. Um, I'm getting emails and messages occasionally, and it's always fun to hear people kind of asking if we're still in it. We are still doing it, and we're going to try to do it at least once a year. Maybe try to work at Christmas in July or something there every now and then. But yeah, um, um, we love it, and we love that you love it. So. Um, hopefully you enjoy uh, what we're what we're dropping for you this holiday season. And until our next episode, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.